0: Today, we began discussing Leviathan Wakes by James S.A. Corey, which is a nom de plume for Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank. And now, I'm not really sure what the purpose of using a pen name is if you're going to tell everybody who you really are at the end of the the very first book you guys write together. You know what I mean?
1: Maybe it's just to keep things simple. It's just easier to remember one name, even if it is... James SA Corey.
0: All right, so I have I have my own pet theory that I can't I can't back it up at all. Yeah. It's suspicious that books that are co-authored don't do as well as mm-hmm. books that have a single author.
1: Uh, people feel like it's not a real book or something like that?
0: I don't know. I mean, like I love to collaborate and I have no problem reading a book that's co-authored, but then again, I haven't. I think it actually kind of works. I mean I don't know how they split up the work. I do. It's on Wikipedia. How did they break it up? Um it's by chapter. It is by chapter. Did they do different Frank writes all of the Holden, Bobby, and Anna chapters while Abraham writes the Miller, Melba, Avasarala, Bull, and Prax chapters.
1: Okay. That makes a lot of sense to me because I think there's a definite especially in that first couple Miller chapters, there's a different vibe to me. It's, it's written oh, big or, time. You big know, time. I think that works in its favor. It helps with the characterizations a little bit. I think
0: I'm not sure that a single author could have as easily switched styles. Right. I agree. Maybe a good author certainly could. Sure. I, I sure. really Practice one could, but okay. So anyway, that's the book we're reading. Leviathan yes. Wakes by James S A Corey. We're just going to refer to this pers- these people as James S A Corey though throughout the book because there's no point in referring to them individually I don't think. They I don't think wrote so. the book with the name Corey. I'm going to use it. My copy, I don't know about yours, but my copy is like a 27th printing or something like that of the trade paperback published by Orbit and on the cover there's a blurb by George Martin. On the back cover there's another blurb by George Martin. The Wall Street Journal, NPR, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so apparently it's like it's very well regarded. So Martin says, quote, interplanetary adventure the way it ought to be written, end quote. And if that's not high praise, let's consider this timeline. George Martin published Game of Thrones in 1996, and it took 15 and a half years for it to make it to television. Yeah. Similarly, there's a book called Altered Carbon by Richard K. Morgan, an English guy, and his book was published and then the TV show came out on Netflix 16 years later. By oh, contrast, I didn't, I didn't know that was a book. Interesting. It's a very good book too.
1: Okay.
0: Not, not a great series, but a very good book. Yeah. I haven't seen it. The, um, no, I mean, there's three books. Mm-hmm. So oh, when I said series, the, the second series and third is books, books. Yeah, yeah. the second and third books are not as good as the first one. The first one's pretty mind blowing. Leviathan wakes Got turned into the television show The Expanse in four and a half years. Wow! So I don't know, I don't know why mm-hmm. it might have been because Martin Ty Frank was George Martin's assistant. Mm. Hence, all the blurbs and et cetera. But I don't Which know. Means
1: you know people.
0: I it mean, does first off,
1: right number one. You you know people.
0: In that. Right, and by the time this was getting ready to come out in two thousand and eleven, Martin was huge, hugely yeah. popular. So his his influence could have helped this book come along. When probably his connection, for sure,
1: even that even that tenuous of a connection, like that guy worked for him.
0: Well, I mean, I wouldn't call that tenuous at all. George Martin's sure. word in 2011 was probably as good as gold. When George Martin published Game of Thrones, nobody knew who he was. Really, he'd been writing for television for years. Had stopped writing novels long before then. So nobody knew. So it was a real slow burn for him to get popular again, or but, at all. He wasn't uh, popular when he stopped writing.
1: Right. I'm not sure. It was a slow burn, but when the show came out, I think the the book readers really came to his banner, let's say.
0: Well, my point, though, is that it's not necessarily a fair comparison mm-hmm. because Martin had to do a slow burn to get popular, and, and his popularity may have helped this book gain immediate popularity because it, it was immediately popular. It was nominated for awards. It was a bestseller, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, in four and a half years, it was on television. That is not something that happens for an unpopular work, right?
1: Yes. Though I don't think we were necessarily comparing them.
0: Nevertheless, here we are, eight years after the book originally appeared, very late to the party. And of he, course. But here we are reading it. Yay. Okay. And also, book eight came out this summer. And there's another book due out next year, so they're basically pumping out one book a year.
1: That's pretty awesome. I mean, if you're a fan of this story and these books, that's great.
0: Well, what is also great is that the television show, which did get canceled after three seasons on Sci-Fi, got picked up by Jeff Bezos. Yes, which I'm happy about. Yeah, yeah, for Amazon Prime. I haven't seen the show. You have seen the show. Yeah. The book. You haven't read the book.
1: Interesting scenario here.
0: We're gonna see how it goes because I'm confused at this point about <laughs> what we are actually offering to people, and like what do you I mean? want to, I want to see the show. I want to watch the show, but I don't want my in- interpretation of the book to be in any way influenced by the television show.
1: Yeah, that's and I've I feel like I need to rewatch like watch those first couple episodes just to maybe check for you <laughs> to see like if it, anything. Any characters are introduced that we haven't been introduced to yet.
0: Well, I I will eventually watch the show, but it'll definitely be after we read this book. Oh, okay, cool. I'm just not gonna mess with that process.
1: What do you mean when you said you were confused by what we're offering? You mean by what's actually happening in the book right now?
0: No, no, no. I'm I'm more of a joke. It was a poor oh. a poorly worded joke. Like we're we're in the process of doing a read along, yes? Where yeah we're hoping that the people listening to this podcast are also reading the book and not relying on us to tell them what's in the book. You know, it's like that, you know, we're building a conversation between people that are reading the books and enjoying them, you know, as a supplement, this is a supplement. Sure. It's, it's like a book club. I don't want to insert too much book or television knowledge. We'll talk about the TV show if it's pertinent, but for the most part, this is about the book.
1: It, is hard for me not to picture them as yeah. they are on the show.
0: Exactly. All right. So let's talk real quickly about how we're going to do this. Sure. But I guess before we do that, let's, let's just admit that we're going to spoil something for somebody. It's just the nature of the beast. If you haven't read the book and you're listening to this, you're going to get lots of spoilers. If you, you're, I mean, we're going to spoil everything. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to go essentially in chronological order, yeah, chapter by chapter, and we're going to put down a foundation that tells us the context for the chapter, and then we're going to discuss the chapters in turn. We're not going to jump ahead and spoil things. All right. So let me see if I've got any other notes real quick. Yeah. I have a story to tell you. A story? Ooh, exciting. Well, it's not really exciting. Um, mm. I'm pretty sure I met Ty Frank. <laughs> What? And I didn't know it at the time. When was this? This year, at the very, very end of spring, there was a book fair in Albuquerque, and both of the authors are from Albuquerque. Oh. And I went j- to look for books, obviously. Yeah. And when I was there, I was talking to one of the guys from Page One Books, which is a lo- the big local store in-, in Albuquerque, used and new books, and he introduced me to this person as this, this was George Martin's assistant. Huh? And I was like, what a weird way to introduce somebody. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to swing on your balls because you used to be the assistant for George Martin. Yeah. That's not my way. And I don't think that's a big deal. Like you're an assistant. Also you're a nobody who cares. You're an assistant, right? You're not George Martin. And so by being George Martin's assistant, you don't become special. Right? Well,
1: no, and who are you anyway? Who cares what you think?
0: But if the guy had, if, if he had introduced this fella as this is half of the author of Leviathan Wakes, I would have been, yeah. oh, well, hello, good to meet you. I've read your book, I read your first book. I really enjoyed it. That's unfortunate. I agree. I agree. But anyway, I failed that test because I didn't realize who he was. You weren't know? enough of a fanboy. I'm not a fanboy. I've never it's just not my style. Yeah. But um you know whatever I shook his hand, you know, good to meet you, whatever. It was definitely the long-haired guy. So all right, let's get let's get let's get the party started. Let's do it. 8 years late, no big deal.
1: No big deal. 8 years late, 3 show seasons late as well.
0: We're definitely going to throw our weight around. <laughs> all right, so Jill, quick question. Yeah. <sighs> If you had to hammer a square peg into a round hole, how would you describe this book stylistically? <laughs> Genre-wise, genre how would you describe it?
1: Man, just based off of all of the space talk alone, yes. um, or kind of, I don't want to say science talk, but you know, science fiction, space talk, I would have to say science fiction with some other elements at play.
0: George Martin's blurb calls it interplanetary adventure, and I, it, it's most closely associated with space opera, for that, the chapters that take place in space with all the fighting and stuff like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, sure, that makes sense to me. That what,
0: about the, what about the other chapters?
1: Well, obviously, the other chapters are a little more grounded, uh-huh. even though they're in space. Space
0: is but- just the setting.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. Miller's first chapter, we're not there yet, but it definitely has a more hard-boiled feel to it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's a cop story. Yeah. Let's talk about the prologue. Prologue, prologue, Julie. Is that what it's called, Julie? Yep. All right, all right, so our tale begins in space. Julie Mao and the rest of the small crew of the little transport ship, Scopuli. Have been taken aboard another ship by force, and Julie has been dumped into a storage locker for safekeeping. Uh, someone told someone else to shoot her if she makes a noise. So that's where our story kind of begins. Um, and she's in a spacesuit. No, no, she's not in a spacesuit. The they got taken off of their ship without spacesuits. She's sh- she's thrown in that locker, and there's a spacesuit in that locker.
1: Okay, so she puts on the spacesuit in the water I,
0: I don't think she even does that. That's where she gets the water. She dismantled it to get the water out of it.
1: Oh, okay. So she was filling up the catheter bag, not wearing the suit. But I don't
0: know. I in don't know. a suit. Yeah, I don't know. Okay.
1: Just curious because... <laughs> no,
0: I get you. I get you, but I don't think it was clear. the The purpose of a prologue is to really quickly get us into the story, get us interested in the story, get us hooked as it were and make it irresistible for us so that we must continue to read. And at the same time, it needs to kind of get us up to speed as far as the rules go. We're learning that being in space is not abnormal for humans anymore. Gotcha. It's just, it's easy pie. If it was, if it was like NASA, they would never get out of their spacesuits. They would be in their spacesuits the entire time they were traveling. Uh-huh. And when they got to the space station, then they might take their spacesuits off.
1: Which is why I think my question was relevant, and I just reread it. And no, she didn't get in the suit. She was using it for water and for expelling her bodily fluids.
0: She was peeing. Yeah. Why can't she just say she was peeing?
1: I guess I was trying to sound smarter.
0: God. <laughs> why did you have to be such a jerk about it? Well, she's in there for eight days. On the first day, they said to shoot her if she made a noise. On the second day, she was still too scared to move. On the third day, she was thirsty, so she found the water... And she started yeah. drinking the water in the stale suit. Yeah. And then several days after that, I don't care if you don't think it's important. I found it interesting. That's fine. At some point in time, she hears the engineer get thrown out of an airlock. He's begging yes. for his life and then he gets tossed out the airlock.
1: I don't know if they use the term yet. I'll, spaced.
0: Oh I yeah. That's I, have no, I don't remember. It's
1: a normal science fiction term or not. I don't know. In this world, that means getting thrown out the airlock.
0: Yeah, so this guy got spaced right Right when she was almost desperate enough to bang on the locker to remind her captors that she's still there.
1: Yes, but she thought twice
0: about it and didn't knock, didn't bang. I wouldn't have banged either if I heard a guy get spaced. I'd yeah, be like, I would
1: think I'm next.
0: That that person that just did that to that guy that I know, I don't want him to know that I'm here. I don't want to remind him Right. or her. This is an egalitarian space also I'll just point that out there are as many women as there are men in space right. at this point like we already see that so she does not hear any movement after seven days so she waits an entire day and then she starts kicking and kicking and kicking and eventually she busts out of a locker yeah and she goes to, to explore the ship and there's nobody there's you know, nobody I, on the entire deck
1: backtrack for a second, I. Th- think she also thinks about because even from her perspective she doesn't know what is going on who these people are she's figuring i think pirates but sending people through this tube of like mylar or something she said with
0: yeah it was really thin and they had no space so it was totally risky um which yeah so they she, do not care if these people live or die
1: right which also confuses her because why even bother them but so she kicks her way out yeah, not having stretched, so she cramps up immediately. Is yes. it hurts? I mean, obviously it's gonna hurt. Yeah, I, I. How is it
0: even possible that she kicks it open? Fiction. Yeah, it's a little unbelievable. Well, think about think about the kind of locker you have in a in a high school gym. That's, <laughs> that's what it has to be. For- I guess
1: so. I mean, I I'm, guess I'm thinking of more like a room on the ship, like a, a closet or something, like a storage room. But no, no it's described just as a locker. locker.
0: Yeah, it's just a locker.
1: So a unit inside of a room maybe or something like that.
0: Definitely. Probably. Um, okay, so imagine imagine a... like much an, easier. Imagine an entry chamber. So she's right next to the airlock, right? Yeah. And tell me that you wouldn't design spaceships with more than one because I would. But um, she's right next to the airlock. There would be an antechamber room of sorts where people get dressed, take off their gear, put it away, store it, etc. Yeah. She's in a locker in that room. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So when she busts out, she can see the whole deck. I don't know how big it is. It's not a huge ship, but there's nobody on it. And so she starts exploring the ship, and there's no sounds. You know, she comes out ready for a fight, and there's nobody.
1: Yeah, there's no even dead bodies or anything. Like It's not like anything bad happened on the ship to where everyone, like the air went away or anything. There's air, obviously.
0: Yep, it's just quiet. No, Eventually, she does find signs of a struggle, and I don't remember where that was. It's not really that important. Um, But long story short is, it's not until she gets to engineering, the door's been locked from the inside, and it's not a radiation leak. She doesn't know what it is, but there are no alarms. That might
1: be where the signs of struggle were, because I think it was like a trail of blood that went to that room or something.
0: The trail, you know, the the signs of struggle led to engineering. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. But we're she's also convinced that nobody left the ship, because apparently she was at the only airlock. Yeah, the only person to leave the ship got spaced.
1: Right, and then all of a sudden everyone just, like, disappeared, I guess. Right. At least from our hers and our perspective.
0: That's pretty much where... No, 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 no. I'm not I'm not saying this is over, but that's there's there's not much else to learn before she opens that door. Am I wrong?
1: Oh no. Um no. Because again, we were kind of all in the dark, as Julie right. really was. We that's only five pages,
0: yeah. you know. Yeah, it's short. It's a really short prologue, as it should be. And okay, so she she gets that door open by cutting it open.
1: It works it a long time at it, it sounds like She's four got- hours. Somewhere. Yeah. And she's got to pry it open once she even gets all the mechanisms and gears and yeah, gears.
0: The hydraulics get the busted hydraulics. when she cuts it. And so she has yeah. to pry it open. And um, inside there's some kind of fleshy substance covering the core.
1: Well, but it, and it looks muddy at first to her, like a, a muddy in color and in texture, I guess. But then yeah. she gets closer and it's more fleshy.
0: Yeah. And then she realizes that it's Akira. kira. <laughs> I mean, come on, am I wrong?
1: No, I didn't when I pictured it, when I visualized it happening, it was very much cartoonish in my head.
0: Oh, South Park.
1: Kind of South Park, but yeah, yeah. I guess some Akira in there as Keeper. well. Trapper Keeper.
0: <laughs> All right. It is Akira. You know, it's this it's this mound of flesh, huge mound of flesh covering the reactor in that room. And there's this tiny little head that she says. In well, relation it's not
1: bigger to, than like a pinky finger.
0: Yeah, in relation to the the whole mass, the head of this human being was the size of like a stub toe or something. It was just a tiny little thing, and it's it's the captain's head, and he's saying, "Help me."
1: Yeah. And so this mass is covering
0: everything in that room, all the panels, and well, now she knows what happened to everybody. This, they all got absorbed by. They all this got blob. turned into this blob. Yeah, exactly. So Akira. All right, so. So when you read this prologue How'd you feel about it? Did it it lure you in? Did it suck you in? Did it make you want to read more? Like what?
1: Yeah I thought it was fine It it was short which is good It ends on a really strange hook (laughs) You're like what the F
0: Okay and you would keep reading based on this
1: Yeah I would because it's mysterious And that's always a
0: You want to know what happened Why? Yeah
1: that's always a hook for me. Just personally, I do like a little mystery. So. You're a human
0: being, Jill. Everybody does.
1: Yeah, but everybody that's, wants to
0: know what happened. That's crazy. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm easy in that way. This is my second reading. So the first time I read this book, there was I had no problems with this this scene at all. But obviously, yeah. I'm reading it with a little bit more analysis in mind, a little bit yeah. more critically this time around. And I've I would say there's nothing new under the sun in this prologue. I've seen every single piece of this prologue elsewhere in Mm -hmm. another guys, some other way. So it, it doesn't lure me in, in that same way. And like, I don't, I don't care. I I don't care about Akira. um, And I don't care about Julie. Like there's nothing about her character or any of the people that we read that I was like, yeah, I like you. She's, Mm -hmm. she's a fighter. I'll give her that. And she did a little bit of ass kicking when she got stuffed into that closet.
1: That's but, true. We didn't we didn't mention that. She got in some blows before they knocked her out and shoved her. Well, she him.
0: didn't want to get raped. Yeah. So she fought back and she got shoved into the closet. Yeah. But okay, so here's a problem with that theory. She described them as armored. Well, actually, she doesn't do the describing. She, this is not from her perspective. This is from some kind of like omniscient perspective. And they describe these people that the captors as armored and that's the only way they're ever described. And at some point in time, they tried to take her clothes off and that's when she started fighting back.
1: So let's just say this. She assumed she was going to be sexually assaulted. Yes. Maybe that wasn't the purpose.
0: Well, maybe. And, and if they're in their armor, I would say it's not the purpose.
1: Right, because that
0: would be rather difficult. But if somebody tried to take my clothes off, I'd probably want to fight back too.
1: Oh, definitely. And I'd probably think the exact same thing she thought. And but she's a quick it now, She yeah. knows
0: jujitsu, Five years worth of jujitsu jitsu in zero-G. jiu-jitsu,
1: sp- Yeah, zero-G. G, yeah. G. So
0: she did some butt-kicking, but then I ask you again... Yeah. How much ass kicking can you really do against an armored foe? Not much. I would say none. You'd probably just break your hands. She thought she was winning, but they were in armor. Yeah. They just they're never, they're never described as men or women. They don't take their suits off. There's none of they're that. Big entities. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't, I wasn't that impressed with the prologue. Okay. Not that impressed. Yeah. So let's see. Let's just go really quickly over the stuff that we did learn from the prologue that might be beneficial to uh, people listening. Yep. Uh, we know about Julie Mao and her her combat skills. Well, we don't we, know her last name yet, but yes. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> I, don't th- I really don't think that matters. It doesn't. It doesn't. All right. So we know that Julie and the entire crew that were just captured were OPA trained. We yeah. don't know what that means, though. No, we know that Dave, the engineer, got tossed out an airlock. Uh,
1: the captain was Captain Darren.
0: Yeah, because his <laughs> Captain Darren's head spoke.
1: <laughs> his head, which was as big as as a pinky toe or whatever.
0: In relation, yeah, yeah, yeah. No one left the ship, and Akira lives in the engineering room. That's what we know. Yes, it reads That's really it. well, though. I, I mean, as much as I don't, as much as none of it's new to me. Yeah, it reads real, real nicely. It goes smooth. Nothing really drew me out, so I I was pretty pleased with it. As It served its function, and and I obviously read on.
1: I don't necessarily disagree with you about Julie. I don't think they gave us too much to necessarily like her. I think the jujitsu stuff was meant to give her a little sass and... Yeah, well,
0: everybody likes a fighter right nobody likes yeah. somebody that's just cows up remember how they exactly. described the captain just like put his hands up and like rolled right. like a dog
1: exactly we didn't but mention Julie, that
0: Julie didn't go along with it right? right so we're supposed to like her based on that
1: yes and I don't that's well, not enough right. for me gotcha but I think that those were the bits meant to make us at least be on her side I guess
0: well, I mean, I am on her side. Like, what's happening to them is not correct. It's it's wrong. Like piracy, being kidnapped, whatever, right. whatever the reasoning. It's yeah. not. It's not. They're not the. They're not the bad guys here. Right. The bad guys took them off their ship and turned them into Akira. That's, those those the bad guys. All right. Moving on. Chapter one. Hold him. A colony ship that has been converted into an ice hauler is returning from the rings of Saturn to Ceres in the asteroid belt. When they pick up a distress beacon. Short and sweet. Yeah, that's the context. I want to do that for every chapter. That's great. Give you a little piece of context and then we can discuss. All right, so what did we learn in chapter one?
1: Well, like you were saying in the prologue, I think this chapter sets up more or better that space travel is normal.
0: It's mundane at this point.
1: It starts off immediately with telling us about Solomon Epstein, who invented the Epstein Drive. Yeah. Yeah. Makes it possible to travel to the outer space.
0: Yeah. They said it gave us the solar system. It didn't give us the stars, but it gave us the solar system. Right. Before the Epstein drive, which was 150 years ago, humans had settled on Mars and the moon and obviously earth, but they, I don't think they'd gone any further than that. And then the Epstein drive 150 years ago comes along and then they settled the belt. Then they settled Saturn. Then they set, well, the moons of Saturn, the moons of Jupiter Mm -hmm. And I think Uranus.
1: One moon of Uranus holds 5,000.
0: All right. So the distribution of humans as it stands when the story begins, there are just under 20 million people on the moons of Saturn. There are about 45 million people on the moons of Jupiter. There are more than 50 million people in the belt. And there are 5,000 around one of the moons of Uranus. Yes. And then the populations of Earth, Mars, and Luna are not given to us. Right. It's just a contextual, informational thing.
1: But if we even think about it logically, there's probably still billions of people on Earth, right? Wouldn't you think?
0: I would assume so, yeah. (laughs) I would assume so, yeah.
1: Humans are, I guess we can say, thriving in this world.
0: We are... We're spreading out.
1: Spreading, exactly, like a
0: disease. Well, when they were asked, when, when the author authors were asked about their book, they said that they wanted to write a book that takes place kind of in between where most science fiction happens. A lot of science fiction's happening right now and just after right now, like the very near future mm-hmm. or really far into the future. Like Alistair Reynolds writes stuff that takes place thousands of years into the future. And they wanted to write, they wanted to write stories – where we're just getting spread out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, we're spreading out into the expanse. And I think that's a good choice personally. They also said that one of their main um, influences was Frederick Pohl's book, Gateway, which is huh. similarly, it, it takes place in a similar future, you know, enough into the future that there's a little bit of space travel, but we're not widespread yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, let's talk about chapter one. Let's do it. All right. So this really is a chapter that introduces the crew, a a number of the crew of the ship Canterbury. It talks about what they're up to. They're hauling ice. We know that they're on their way back from the rings of Saturn, which is past the orbit of Jupiter. They're inside that on their way back when they get that distress signal. And it's a big ship, but apparently there's only like 50 people on it. And they hold the ice inside the ship. Well, so they describe the
1: ship as it used to be, yeah, it's this huge ship, and it used to have different environmental bubbles because it transported people.
0: It was a colony ship.
1: Yes, colony ships, transporting people to the different moons and different places. Yeah. They're terraforming and populating and
0: whatnot. Yeah.
1: And we don't really get an explanation, but this is an old ship, and now it's an ice hauler ship.
0: Yeah, it's over 100 uh, years old.
1: So I guess it's got a lot of space.
0: For I, ice, I guess so. It just seems to me that if you were hauling ice, you wouldn't want to put it inside something. You would you would leave it outside and
1: well. Also, it seemed like it would take a lot of energy to keep it cold inside.
0: Oh, no, no? When, when human beings used to go up to the Arctic and mm-hmm. cut ice, well, they did it in the Great Lakes. I think is where they did it. They would cut ice out of the Great Lakes, put it on ships, and send it down to the tropics, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Before refrigerated air, before you could make ice, yeah. And you essentially would lose half the volume of ice on the trip. And mm-hmm. It took a long time; it wasn't quick. Yeah, but yeah. it was still valuable enough. And don't forget, it's like space, right? Space is cold. It'll be, pl- it'll, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. But I would just yeah. look outside.
1: Uh, it's probably not, like I'm visualizing it like Futurama or something. Like they're hauling some sort of you know package behind the ship, and that yeah. probably isn't realistic.
0: Putting it inside the ship is foolish
1: because you're traveling fast. Later on in this book, they will get to it, but they described there. You don't stop in space. You're just, you're matching orbit and yeah, relative speed of whatever you're trying to
0: dock onto or whatever. Right. But you also don't stop and start fast.
1: Well, sometimes you do.
0: You can't, it's impossible.
1: It's impossible.
0: Mm. I mean, you can try. It took them two days to slow down enough to match orbit with the scopuli.
1: I would imagine having the ice outside and being hauled, that just mathematically, that adds a different sort of, I don't know the terms, but something, velocity or whatever, to how they slow down or stop or maneuver the ship. We're getting a little too technical here.
0: Let's be honest. In reality, when this does become a job, it's going to be done by robots. It's not going to be done by people.
1: Right. Probably there, there though. Will
0: be no people hauling ice around in the solar system.
1: This is definitely the alien view of space. Space. Right. Right.
0: Yeah, where you got yeah, blue-collar workers in space. Yeah. Which I like the idea. I don't think it's realistic at all. Do you
1: you think so you think like every ship will be just piloted by robots? Or I don't I mean, do you, I mean you, you don't, don't even need a, need
0: a ship. You want to move ice from Jupiter or from Saturn's rings to the inner solar system, to the asteroid belt, you don't need a ship. You just strap an engine. On. How are we going to live, Lule? How will we live? We will live in comfort and relative ease on space stations and, and HABs. We We're don't. In holes, like on Ceres. Okay, so there's a problem there as well. Like
1: We should probably wait. I shouldn't have even brought that up. Probably not. Let's talk about Holden. Let's talk about chapter, chapter one. one. So Holden is moving. We're getting off on a lot of tangents here today. Well, we're it's fine, whatever. But so, yeah, so it describes the Epstein Drive space travel. It's easy. P- humans are all over the place, and Holden, who's the executive officer, uh, the rank below captain, is moving through the ship. Who do we meet first?
0: Oh, um, I don't remember
1: Naomi Nagata first, and this is where I will mention. I have to try to visualize Naomi Nagata a little bit different than she's portrayed in the show cuz I want to say in the show she may be shorter than Holden.
0: <laughs> she is supposed to be 6 and a quarter feet. No, 6 2 and a, 2 and a quarter meters.
1: And really thin and they're lanky.
0: Yeah, so she's belter. more than 6 she's a feet.
1: Tall. She's from the belt, which is not Earth or Mars. It's an asteroid yes. belt
0: which is where Ceres orbits, which is past the orbit of Mars, but it's before the orbit of Jupiter by quite a bit. So
1: people born out there are called belters. They're born in zero G. They are given all sorts of chemical cocktails when they're born to make sure their muscles and bones grow, but they still,
0: that's definitely true. I mean, that would definitely have to happen. Yeah. Genetic engineering or something but they're
1: real long and lanky because
0: of it as well. No gravity well. Yeah. No gravity. That's <laughs> um, funny. When they describe humans from Earth as being short and stocky, it's like, yeah. no, technically it's just like us, right? Yeah. We're not short and stocky. We're just, we grew up in a gravity well dealing with right. high gravity.
1: But that is what those people think of Earthers. And we'll get to that later on even too, in more Miller it's,
0: chapters. It's fun. I, um, I I really enjoy thinking about that. All right. So we, we're basically introduced to the Star Trek crew here. Yes. Right? This is an extremely diverse crew with True. men and women of all different races and nationalities. You've even got a guy that's had his arm cut off and who's like, it's not a big deal. I can get along just fine. So you've well, he's going like, to get a prosthetic. He is going to get a prosthetic. He
1: has a long enough contract, but he doesn't, they don't say insurance, but he's not going to be able to regrow an arm, which is possible. He doesn't want to. But he doesn't want to anyway, because that's the earth jello, or like Earthers jello they give you. You know, that
0: stuff, that stuff supposedly exists. Really? Yeah, they refer to it as pixie dust, and it is really, really uh, uncomfortable politically correct to even talk about the stuff, whether or not it exists? Well, because the guy that supposedly found out about it did all of this experimentation on dogs. Uh And so it's animal experimentation that discovered it. He was experimenting on dogs that had heart problems and he was cutting out pieces of their own intestine to replace the parts of the heart that were damaged. Uh And when the dogs eventually died, he did autopsies on them and found that their hearts had completely regrown. Oh, wow. He didn't know why. He started looking into the cells that were in the intestines and found that it's like stem cells in there. They're undifferentiated wow. cells and they will regrow whatever they need to. Wow. So that technology has already started to be researched. But again, it's not PC to, to even talk about it.
1: Mm, fine. Go
0: ahead. Do, it, do whatever you want. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, if you, can, if you can find a way to regrow a limb, do it. All right, so we've got the Star Trek crew. Yes,
1: yeah, so we meet Naomi Nagata, the Belter. She's the chief engineer of uh-huh. the
0: category. Yep.
1: She's got her right-hand man, Amos. Yep. Amos Burton. <laughs> he calls who, her boss. That's awesome. Boss, and Holden boss. describes him as uh, her, his one and only boss is Naomi. Yeah. He really doesn't have the same sort of respect for the captain or Holden that he has for Naomi.
0: It could be um, a package deal. Where they hired a what is she? She's a chief engineer. Yeah, it could so be a package girl. deal where they hired a chief engineer and he came with her. Right. So she Possibly. may have actually. She may actually be his boss for all we know.
1: Yeah, that's probably true. And and mentally, he that's how he feels as well. Whether, right. like, but that's how he's described. Yep. We get Shed Garvey, the medical tech. Right. We don't do we get a lot of explanation on who he is? I don't really remember much about him, to be honest.
0: Okay, so the only things I really remember about him is him picking the maggots off of um Paj's arm. Yeah. They're trying to control the infection, not get rid of it, and all this kind of stuff. He, that's that's all I remember. He's he's the medic.
1: The only character stuff we get with him is like he's kind of embarrassed by Paj's
0: dirty talk, I guess. Paj talks him into explaining to Holden what the dirty talk is. And so yeah, he does, I and then he blushes about like
1: it. To make Shed
0: be embarrassed about it. He's a doctor. He's not embarrassed by body stuff. Give me a break. I'm just,
1: I'm just trying to pull any character out of this guy that I can, because honestly, no, I get you. I get we,
0: you. we didn't get much.
1: Aude, uh Holden's not-girlfriend.
0: No, not-girlfriend. She's um, insistent on that point.
1: They are... Dating, I guess, seeing yeah. each other, they're having sex together.
0: Yeah, they're, they're sleeping together and that's it.
1: Um, he wants more. She absolutely does not want more.
0: little role reversal.
1: She's Nigerian. She and, got her
0: money out of the country. I'm very happy for her. I wonder who helped her.
1: What is Ade's position? He she goes the,
0: to... uh, She's a navigator.
1: Okay. She's in like the engine room or something.
0: Mm, I don't know about that. Yeah, anyway, I was confused about what she exactly did. But that I'm makes pretty sense. sure she's the navigator. She's, um, I mean, let's put it in Star Trek terms. When, when Captain says, you know, punch it, <laughs> he's the one that punches it. Okay. She hits that button. She hits that button, lays in the coursework, and et cetera. It's probably much more complicated than that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I hope it is, but at the same time, computers should be doing most of this work yeah it should, it should not be human beings with you their- know what
1: though but if you are in okay here's the thing though you're in space and they'll get to this a little actually maybe it's in this chapter where it's kind of like an unwritten law or actually it is the law but whether it gets followed when you're out there all alone you're going to you have to answer a distress signal because there's nothing out there it's you all you have is each other and karma and So going back to what I was saying, if you're out there, you need humans that are going to be able to, what if something breaks and you're just out there? You need humans to, I think some things may have to be more mechanical than you think.
0: I think you underestimate the ability of machines to do people's work greatly. And I think you overestimate the abilities of human beings greatly.
1: Possibly, but there's this, I was just reading this. I don't know. I think it's maybe in our government that there's one of our nuclear computers or whatever is still like an old IBM from the 70s because you basically can't hack it. So like, why change it sort of thing? Like they've never updated it because it would just be dangerous.
0: Yeah. Well, that's,
1: I just found that interesting.
0: That is smart. For the most part, this stuff is going to be done by computers. And, yeah, people might need to be there for certain aspects of it, but you don't, you don't enjoy stories that are written about robots and computers. No, not at all. Let's talk about how we know these are the good guys. But, okay. Like, are we under the impression that these are good guys? These are the good guys? These are our story guys, right? And it's not just that we're, we're, we're having a story about them. There are other things, too. That-
1: well, this is Holden's chapter, Jim Holden, by the way. His first name is Jim. His, first, his last name is Holden. Uh, he's called to the bridge specifically to be that moral voice, to be that good guy voice, and he makes that
0: quote-unquote... You're talking about the fact that they've gotten the distress signal. And they're going to go for going, Yep, they're going to stop because it's the law. Exactly. And, and, and
1: also it's the right thing to do.
0: It is the right thing to do to render aid to someone because, in distress.
1: Right again, if it was you, you would hope somebody else would stop as well. Because again, you guys are all out there all alone in for space. the most part in space. Yeah. Very
0: hostile so, environment.
1: Based off it being Jim Holden's chapter, and he is there for that moral compass because the captain wants to cover his ass and have the crew still like him and think that he's on their side. Like he doesn't want to do it either, but
0: well, there is a. To, Yes. There's a a little snippet in there that I think puts it kind of into good, good focus. And that is that by stopping, it's going to eat into their profits because I guess they're on a time schedule and if they slow down, they make less money. Yeah. Stop. They're going to make less money. Yes. And so they're putting the well-being of human beings other than themselves above profits. Right. So yeah. Hard to argue that they aren't the good guys.
1: Right. But then Holden, yes, true. And then Holden, just to smooth things over to everyone, was like, well, there might be some salvage on the ship as well.
0: When Ade and Holden are having their uh, I-don't-want-to-be-your-girlfriend conversation, yeah, Ade points out that everybody on the ship either messed up at their last gig or they're just wildly unqualified to be in space. Right, I forgot about that. So this is this is a crew of misfits. Yes. It's not just this is not the this is not actually the the crew of the enterprise. No, no, no. Everybody's no. the best and the brightest. These are people who are relegated to hauling ice because they're they messed up or they're yeah. no good. Yeah. Or they're just getting started. Like this maybe is where you start your career in space as a blue collar worker in outer space.
1: Mm, possibly. She didn't make any mention of that, but it could be true.
0: Well, she said she was temporary. She's just going on another run or two, and then she was done. Holden has been there for five years, and he's comfortable, and that was one of her criticisms of him.
1: I guess it was a criticism. She was just kind of stating the facts that, hey, I'm going to be gone. You're going to be here. Why are we making this serious?
0: Right. But, I mean, in in a way, he's XO. You know, the next step up for him is to captain his own ship. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe he's saving money to buy a new ship right now.
1: Could be, but we have no idea.
0: We don't know. We don't really know. Um, Also, in that same scene, I did not enjoy the dialogue. It felt very forced. And, like, I understand what's going on, that it's – the authors are trying to show that space is egalitarian, that men are equal to women, that everybody's welcome in space. And that is the future I want. That is the future that I foresee as well. But the dialogue between – like, you don't, strengthen, you don't strengthen a female character by making male characters weak. Uh-huh. You just make female characters strong.
1: Do you think that him wanting her as a girlfriend makes him weak?
0: Yes. Yes. Because he wants of- something that she does. She has the power in that situation. They're, they're both sleeping together. No big deal. On that regard, they're equal, right? But he wants something that she won't give him. So she has the power. Okay, right. That's that's just the way that that dynamic works. It's not it's not saying that she's better or he's worse or whatever, but that's the power dynamic there is that she's not giving him what he wants. Therefore, she has the power,
1: but you're saying no matter what, if someone has power, the other one's automatically weaker. So then no, how no, no,
0: no, no, it's just the way that they wrote him. They wrote him as being weak.
1: I'm not sure. Hundred percent.
0: Okay, when okay. she says you're comfortable here. And her eyes were less kind now. She bit her lip, she looked down at the screen, she looked up, and he responds, I didn't deserve that, he said.
1: Well, maybe that's just Holden. No, nah, that's, that's
0: not stupid. how people talk, first of all. And that's just a weak response. It's, it's a weak response. A strong response would be him getting angry, defensive, stalking out.
1: You know, I hate even going here, but God, do I agree with you? I mean, I might agree with you, because this line. From Jim, I wasn't talking about sex, a little food conversation. Yes.
0: Like, All right, dude. Yeah. More so stuff they'll... like that. Exactly. Yeah. That's That's weak. That's weak Especially
1: after she's made it 100% clear that she wants none of that. Yes. So then to even then come back at it makes his character weak. Yeah, I don't disagree.
0: So I don't love Holden already. Hmm. Interesting. I don't, I don't love him. The person that I liked immediately was Nagata. Mm-hmm because, uh, what is it, he, he snaps her a, a, a sarcastic salute and she snorts and kind of yes. walks out and like yes. she's obviously arrogant. She knows what she's doing. She's good at her job and she's able to fix things with no budget, no parts. She's able to rig stuff together if she needs to. We yes. get all that information in like very, very little detail and it's really, really good and I liked her yes. immediately. But I, but also she still does have respect that he's her superior though. I think like, well, she's not being disrespectful. That's not the point.
1: That's that's what I mean. I'm saying she's, she can do all that and knows her worth.
0: She's an engineer. She doesn't care about running the ship. Right. She doesn't care. Yeah. She doesn't need to care um i liked her immediately i agree with you completely shed means nothing to me at this point he's like like
1: pointless in my mind no
0: information whatsoever the guy that was getting his arm worked on paj yeah yeah i don't know how i feel about i started
1: to care and then i realized like this is where the show kind of creeped in for me it was like uh i don't need to care about paj
0: (sighs) don't go there i know
1: i know i'm just i'm admitting to that
0: Okay, so who else did we encounter? Let's see. Rebecca Byers, who I also liked right. immediately. Because one yes. well, I'm sold is Holden. The rumor is, yeah. Well, okay, that's fair, and that's that's a good technique, in my opinion, because we're supposed to like Holden. So if Holden likes somebody, we're supposed to follow suit, right?
1: I, I guess, sure.
0: It's it's just a it's a technique. It's not whatever it doesn't matter
1: i'm just trying to be contrary that's how i work i got even if like maybe they're trying to fool us i don't know maybe you never know
0: well i mean okay whatever we met captain mcdowell who was the most fleshed out of all the characters as far as i'm concerned but i don't think that happens right away but rebecca byers the rumor is she killed her ex-husband
1: oh yeah that's right
0: and i i just love that like she's She's on the run. The cops got her gun. (laughs) You know, she killed her ex-husband and here she is on the ship.
1: Back to the crew of misfits.
0: Yes. The crew of misfits. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I liked her immediately as well. But the the only character that I really liked straight out the gate was the engineer, Nagata. Yes. All right. So the purpose of that chapter was to introduce us to the crew and to give us a lot of context for the type of world that we're seeing, you know, space travel is mundane, People have these jobs, they're hauling ice, it's not a big deal, that's where we're at.
1: Yes, well, and the big plot point is it ends with the emergency, emergency signal from
0: the scopuli. All right, I would say, though, that, that covers chapter one fairly well, don't, don't you?
1: Yeah, I think we talked about everything.
0: All right, chapter two, Miller. Yes. All the time. All right, I am extremely partial to... Hardboiled detectives, noir fiction, not the movies, so much, but I like crime fiction, I like mysteries, I like that stuff a lot, and so stuff 's right up my alley, whereas space opera not as much right? hmm. I, don't, I don't love space opera, I love hardboiled detective stories, and that 's kind of what we 've got with these chapters. the miller story wow. detective story, and he is a detective, and I yes. think we learned that right away. Detective Miller
1: yeah first line
0: all right uh we begin our we begin the miller story on the asteroid series which again is in the belt it's the most major body in the belt and it is home in this case to six million people and operated like any big port city that you and i might be expected to know only difference being that it is in orbit in the belt uh, we're dropped into this chapter in the midst of an interview that's taking place in Belter vernacular conducted by detective Miller. All right. Perfect. He's interviewing, I think what he referred to as a glitz whore. Is that right? Oh
1: man. I'm looking right now. It's
0: not in the beginning. It doesn't describe her that way in the beginning. Oh, it's quite man. a bit later.
1: I don't remember.
0: She's, she's a sex worker. Yes. regardless, yeah. And, the interview is taking place in a, it's taking place in her hole, which is the, the apartment that she lives in essentially, and they're called holes because they're dug out of Ceres yeah body of Ceres, the asteroid so straight away we've we've got this conversation going on between the detective and this sex worker, and it's it's kind of hard to understand. I, did you agree that it was uh, difficult I, to- yeah,
1: very hard to understand
0: and that's because it's taking place in the vernacular and if you think about it we're at least 300 years into our future. Right. So the language is going to change. I mean, mm-hmm. just think about, just think about when Shakespeare was writing yeah, and the language then versus the language now. So there's going to be some language shift. Even so,
1: I mean, language from, if you watch old, like right when television and movies first started, or if you watch like really old speeches from back in the day, you know, that new, that New York, style of talk that was like oh baby yeah. like way back in the 20s
0: yeah when talking first came around
1: did talk like that yeah and as our speech just changes it's very interesting There, are, there are a few things that are translated for us but not much i mean miller explains it after the fact
0: but it was, it was done real well he does explain it after the fact but it's handled pretty well but the, the long and short of it is a low life hustler that had been collecting money for the Golden Bough Society has gone missing. Yes. And this is not an isolated case. Like, something's going on with the crime families on Ceres. And it's a wealthy, wealthy place. They said that more wealth passes through Ceres than any other place in the history of human society. Because yeah, they've, they've got platinum, little, titanium, all of yeah. these materials from Water, all over the solar food, system. Like everything passes through there. Everything passes through Ceres and is redistributed outwards. Yes. So with wealth comes crime. Of and course. so there are crime families on Ceres. And, and some that is
1: f- the Golden Bow. What was it? Golden Bow. Golden
0: Bough Society.
1: Yeah. They're organized
0: crime. They're one of the organized crime families. And okay. somebody has just made one of their money collectors disappear. And, and that is time, what Miller is investigating.
1: And what's weird is, if I'm remembering correctly, is they don't seem to care.
0: They're not doing anything about it. So they probably care. They probably care a lot. But yeah, they, but
1: they're not retaliating for some reason. And right. Miller's confused by that. Sure.
0: Well, I mean, he, he okay, so he's the station detective. He's a station detective. His partner, yeah. Havelock, is a with him. Report. What?
1: Assigned to the port, they're, it's a security force. Actually, like they're not police per se. I mean, they are
0: police. They're acting as police. They're a private security force. It's Star Helix Security,
1: right? And there's more than one security force, I believe, on Ceres. They're assigned to the port areas, or at least Miller is.
0: I think they're kind of hard to. They're Ceres station. They were they were contracted by the governor. Okay. So there are other security agencies like Protogen. Right. Star Helix is security for Ceres Station.
1: Okay. okay. And they're
0: employed by the governor, okay. which is a conflict of interest on a grand scale, if you think about it. The governor controls the police Well, yeah, bad, as a bad move. There's yeah. some kind of power shift going on. Among the crime family, something's going on and Miller and Havelock have been assigned to kind of investigate what's going on, or at least that's the assumption.
1: Havelock is his partner. I don't know if we mentioned that
0: yet. Havelock is his partner and Havelock is from Earth. Yes. But he's worked a lot on Mars and out in the belt elsewhere. I think on Luna too. He's worked a lot. He didn't work on Earth at all. Right. He's been a cop in space. He was just born there, Right. Yeah, and so he's kind of looked down upon because he is from a gravity well. Kind of. I, we'll get to that later, but a there, lot.
1: there's definitely racial tensions, so to speak. But
0: Havelock yeah. offers us the perspective of somebody from the inner planets, and uh-huh. his partner Miller, who we follow throughout this chapter, is giving us the perspective of somebody who was born outside of the gravity wells of the inner solar system. Yes. So we have these two... So. A lot of times Miller will explain what's going on to Havelock and Havelock will ask questions and that allows the author to give us the information that they want to give us by having that yeah. little bit of a conflict between. I
1: think it's done well.
0: No, no, it is. Um, it really during, is.
1: And during this particular interview, Havelock is sitting back listening because I think he probably doesn't even know what the heck they're saying, at least half of it.
0: Oh, he admits, he admits as much. He certainly couldn't converse to this. Think about, think about well, what he, what he says is that you have fun. You know, and Miller's like, that wasn't a conversation intended to keep the copper out or the earther out. That was a conversation spoken in vernacular that's intended to keep affluent people out. Right. It's like the poor. It's like a cockney talk. But Miller understands that Miller was born on, on Ceres station. He's, he's familiar with the ways of speaking on Ceres. So he has a better okay. rapport with the people of Ceres than Havelock ever could.
1: Yeah. And I'm not sure. I don't remember if they mentioned how long he's worked as a cop. I'm not sure if that's mentioned, but it's got to be no, a while. Miller. Yeah.
0: I think they did. I don't remember though. I want to say it was more than either. 20 years.
1: Yeah. But I mean, he's a detective and so he's, he's been at this a while.
0: Yeah. Unlike television in our age, people do not become detectives in their twenties.
1: Right. You don't just do that. Oh,
0: Jesus, It's ridiculous. We I'm so, This is a tangent. I admit it, but I am so sick of television where you have young, beautiful people doing jobs that are that literally take an entire career to attain. You know?
1: Yeah, I agree with you, but also for me, it's just that it's so boring. Like it's visually, it's boring for me.
0: Everybody looks. They the same. all
1: look the same.
0: Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. Can't stand it. I, I want. I want some character. Yeah, me too. I want some character in my characters, please. Character actors. All right. So we learn what we learn as far as this guy going missing from this woman.
1: Right. And, and then they're...
0: Havelock and Miller have a conversation on the way back to the station that kind of explains everything to us. Yeah. And I don't so we... think
1: the details are super important for us to go over.
0: It's just some... not, not those. No, yeah. I agree.
1: I, mean, I think what we mentioned is fine the organized crime stuff.
0: Right. So when they get back to the station, Miller is called into his captain's office. I think her name is Shadidi.
1: Shadid. Shadid. Not, yeah,
0: there's okay. only one I. Okay, so Captain Shadid yeah. calls Miller, not Havelock, into her office. Yes. And we kind of start getting the sense that Shadid and other belters are a bit racist against Earthers and people from the inner, inner planets. And
1: it says she never quite overcome her preju- prejudice against inner planet origins. Yeah. Block's or inner planet origins.
0: Right. And she's not really hiding it. No. So we'll talk about that in just a second. Yeah. But essentially when she calls him into the office, it is to give him an assignment, an additional assignment on top of the work he's already doing. And it's a kidnapping job where he's supposed to go and track down this girl named Julie Mao. Mm-hmm. We already met in the prologue. Yes, and we learn a little bit about her.
1: Yeah, she's the daughter of a rich family, and Ariadne. this guy. Uh, the names were of the mom is Ariadne, and the dad is Jules Pierre Mao. Yeah, so they're obviously throwing weight and money around to get this
0: get their daughter back
1: job done. Uh, they make it sound like she's a little wild. I don't even
0: know if they described the- her as a black sheep who went off to university. And got in with the wrong crowd. Right. That wrong crowd would be the feeder groups that lead into the OPA, which is the Outer Planet Alliance. Outer Planet Alliance, which is kind of like a rebel group, terrorist group. You know,
1: looking out for Belter interests. Yes. Um.
0: Because they're not mm -hmm. independent. Right. They're still under the rule of other people.
1: Right. And um, she had a racing, is it pronounced penis?
0: Pinnacle. Pinnacle? Pinnacle? <laughs> a penis. She had a racing penis.
1: Penis. <laughs> a, I thought it was A-C-C-E. There's an L at the end?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, fine. A racing pinnacle. Well, just look at the word. Let's, let's I make thought sure. I did.
0: I, I hope that you didn't.
1: Whatever. He just thinks she's some rich kid that he's got to kidnap and bring to daddy. Bring to mommy and daddy.
0: No, we know better already we know that she's been kidnapped and shoved into a, uh, a well, we
1: know that she is actually in danger let's say
0: yeah we know or that I
1: believe she's in danger
0: her parents don't know they mm-hmm. just want to no. get her back
1: right but I think in their minds they assume she's in danger just by pure association of who she's hanging out with so yeah he gets the assignment and then he goes off to his hole he goes right, home.
0: but but not but right before that, he has a little bit of shared racism with his boss to, for uh, bonding purposes. Yes, and then he goes off and he goes back to his hole.
1: Yeah, because he mentions having Havelock around makes him look good in people's <laughs> eyes. Yeah. <exactly.
0: laughs> oh, you poor guy! You're stuck with that earther. Mm. Yeah, mm.
1: it seems to be a pretty common thing here in the belt. Right, probably in the rest of our universe. Um
0: yeah, uh, soul oh, system. Wait. Solar system. Solar system. There's a lot of racism. All right. Yeah. So this this chapter gives us a lot of information that I'm really happy to get. And one of those things is that the problems, social problems that we have now, they just transmit off into the future. And we've seen this before. Like, oh yeah, the world may be becoming more accepting and more tolerant, but it's a slow process, and People we're still always racist. care about themselves. Yeah, there's a lot of self-interest involved. That's not gonna change anytime soon. Humans are not gonna suddenly become enlightened tomorrow or in three hundred years. It's not gonna happen.
1: No, and it won't happen as a collective consciousness. So that's ridiculous.
0: Right. So we're getting we're getting a lot of these flavor elements for the chapter showing that problems still exist and these are the problems of the belt, you know, that the belters feel like they're being taken advantage of and a organization has arisen. And, you know,
1: they probably are. Let's be real.
0: Yeah, of course they are.
1: They're, they're the grunt class. They're the lower class citizens that are...
0: Even if they're not lower class citizens, think about the American Revolution, right? Mm-hmm. Founding fathers in America were not poor. They were not. Uh, no. They were the wealthiest of their era in they America. They knew how to read and write, for goodness sakes more jill they were very wealthy
1: i know i was being funny i mean hmm.
0: essentially so there were going to be plutarchs on series but those people are going to want their independence too and Mm -hmm. it is suggested that miller doesn't really know how shadid will come down she's private security for series but he doesn't really know if she's pro-a opa or not Mm -hmm. and he's he suspects it's possible. Maybe she is. Maybe Maybe the governor is pro OPA. Yeah. I think that's comes up in a later chapter, but yeah. Well, we don't really get a good sense of Havelock, I don't think in this chapter, but we do get a pretty good sense of Miller and we come to understand one thing that Shadid had in her office. There's the scent of cinnamon and coffee. Yeah. And he described, he said that if he had to describe her, it would be artificial coloring. Yes, coloration. She's not, she's not represented by – you can't trust what you're seeing as an honest representation of what you're getting from the woman. Yeah, everything is a front. And he says that Havelock's apartment smells like baked bread.
1: Mm-hmm. Which a lot of Earthers
0: – Everybody. Scent- everybody uses this perfuming. Yeah. They want the smell. But his hole. do you remember what it smelled like?
1: It was just the smell of the station that he works at, I think. Just antiseptic and sweat and everyone's recycled pee and sweat and tears. and
0: Yeah, Yeah. it's the smell of the station, and that's the way he likes it. He wants the reality of what there is. Yes. And that's that's a telling character trait, right? Mm -hmm. He's not satisfied. He wants to know what's underneath. Mm -hmm. He wants the real input. And that's I think that's a good quality in a detective and I think it's a nice subtle way of showing us a lot of his character traits.
1: He tries not to it gets mentioned in his next chapter the chapter after um he tries not to put any emotion into the facts that he's looking at. He just wants right, to know right. he just wants to put the pieces together.
0: Yeah, it's he wants to see he wants to see true.
1: It's not an emotional thing,
0: all facts. He's a little bit cynical. Mhm. One of the other things that we learn is that Ceres doesn't really have laws. They have police, essentially. They, he talks about how people will get spaced for doing the wrong thing because it's justified. So they punish people based on whether or not it's justified, not necessarily whether or not they broke the law. But that it's, it's pretty clear that the policing on the station, you don't necessarily get a trial.
1: Right, 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 right. Right. It's not super clear, but
0: yeah. We also learned that Miller has an ex-wife. Yes, I was just gonna mention that. We should which definitely... is a trope of the genre. Uh, all all good detectives are divorced.
1: <laughs> yeah, divorced alone, sad, depressed, yeah. cynical.
0: They're yeah. Usually drinking and smoking. But right. uh, yeah.
1: he doesn't seem to have any children though, so that's probably a bonus.
0: At least as far as the world
1: is concerned.
0: No, I'm, I'm, he says I've, later on that we don't. But no
1: we're right here. Talented pinnace pilot, P-I-N-N-A-C-E. Page... Where? Bottom of page 25, the last paragraph, Juliet Andromeda Mao. He read through her work history. Talented pinnace pilot. uh huh -huh. So, what do you have to say now? (laughs) I'm wrong? Yeah. Let's make sure that stays in the podcast.
0: Well, let's make sure that's not a typo, too.
1: Okay, well, I'm looking up pinnace right now, which I should
0: have done. Yeah, see about pronunciation too.
1: Pinnace, a small boat with sails or oars, forming part of the equipment of a warship or large vessel. How do you pronounce it? Pinnace. Just how I pronounced it. Pinnace. Yes.
0: Pinnace. Pinnace. Okay, my bad. I, I always put Penance. an L in there because it just made sense to me. Pinnacle. Pinnace.
1: Pinnace. Pinnacle is a different word.
0: No, I know that it's a different world word, Jill. I'm, I'm aware well, of that. I'm not sure you... My bad. I that. misread that. I'm still going to pronounce it penis pilot. I love how you're such a jerk about it.
1: Penis. Penis.
0: Hey, look. I'm sorry.
1: My pinnacle? What are you talking about?
0: I apologize, y'all. You're I apologize. forgiven. I apologize. but I was wrong. <laughs> I misread that. Nevertheless, I still like uh, Pinnacle better than penis.
1: Uh, anyway...
0: So do you have anything that you want to add? I'm sorry. Is there something you would like to add about chapter two, Miller's first chapter?
1: Uh, yes. Well, just back to the chapter ends with Miller. He's thinking about Julie looking through the files, and but he's still thinking about the organized crime stuff. And he's like, this thing with Julie Mao, it was a sideshow. That's is, his thoughts at this moment. Yes. But that's what he's thinking about.
0: And I think that makes really good sense. What does he care about some rich kid?
1: Exactly. What does that have? How is that going to affect life on series?
0: Yeah. No, in he's his got
1: mind, to. it's not going to, but this organized crime stuff, there's obviously something going on. What does it mean? Yes. Especially just for the, whatever's happening on series, the flow of life on series,
0: right? Bigger fish to fry.
1: Yes. Yeah. All so right. That's About it, I guess.
0: Chapter three, Holden's second chapter. The Canterbury is closing in on the distress beacon. And preparations are being made to take their lander, I guess it's called Knight, Yes. To investigate. That's it. I mean, to investigate, period. Yeah. They're getting ready to investigate the scopuli. This chapter. Uh, I did not I did not like this chapter at all. Like I I'm just gonna say that and then explain to you why. And it is that there's no we don't get any real information here. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just kind of like going through the motions of what would happen in preparation for taking an away mission, as it were, to go and investigate a ship. We've all seen it before in space movies. We've, we've read it before. There's nothing new here, once again. This is just a, we're going to go do this thing, and this is the procedure that we use to go do that thing.
1: I don't disagree with you, it's definitely, all the notes I have written down are just kind of curious little things that I found interesting that are actually more about the world than the story because like you said, we're just getting the crew ready. We do meet a, did, uh, a new person though, a new crew member, Alex. Is it really? Yes, are you d- d- dyslexic? <laughs> I don't know. I'm being 100% serious right now. You've added an L and you've inverted the L and the E in Alex. What is happening?
0: I can see it. His name is Alex. Yes, it is. (laughs) His
1: name is Alex. He's from Mars.
0: Alex Kamal. And he talks in a Texas accent.
1: It talks in Texas accent because Mars was founded by...
0: It was settled. Yeah. The Mariner Valley was settled wow. by East Indians, Chinese, and Texans.
1: Texans. And uh, it's described as the accent being a virus that just kind of takes over. Yep. Yeah. Is that true? Some of your draw comes out it sometimes. You know, I, um,
0: just a is. little bit, though. It is relatively true. If, if uh, somebody from the part of Texas where I grew up moves up to Dallas... Mm-hmm. they will end up talking with a drawl, even though they didn't have one. Anybody growing up in San Antonio and the environments around there, they don't have an accent. It's That's where you grew up? It's like mine. It, my, the accent is like mine. But if you move up to Dallas, they talk a little bit slower, and there might be some of this in there. Mm-hmm. And that is an affectation, but it is contagious. Hmm.
1: So that's Alex. And Holden doesn't really like him because he's too... I have yeah, the word here Abullient.
0: yeah he's talkative and outgoing and noisy and it gives holden a headache
1: yeah naomi
0: likes it but he is the better pilot
1: yes and uh yeah so he's just an interesting guys this indian martian with a texas accent who
0: yep.
1: used to be in the martian uh navy navy yep um obviously piloted for the navy And uh, yeah, he's going to crew this ship
0: (laughs) the night. So who's on the mission? It's Naomi and Amos. It's Alex. It's Holden. And it's Shed. And Shed, the medical guy. And that's it. And they bring a mech with them, which is like this utilitarian vehicle that they use to cut up salvage, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they go. They fly away. It takes 11 hours, round trip or whatever, but they go. They, you know... They they get up close to the scopuli, which is parked right next to a free floating asteroid.
1: Yeah, which is weird in its own right. They it had to have been purposefully landed there, or like it seems
0: it was left. Like there.
1: there's no way it was an accident. Yeah, right. it didn't just end up there.
0: And there's a hole in the side of the ship. Yes. And I think it's Alex says that that no, it was Amos says that that was a as a breaching charge.
1: Yeah, it was. It wasn't shot out from the outside. It was blown out from the inside, right? Somebody putting explosives—is that what that meant? Did no. I read that wrong?
0: I think so. They put a they put a breaching charge on the outside of the ship, and it blew a hole into the ship
1: on the outside. Okay, so I had it right, just not the direction. Okay. And then apparently
0: they crawled in that tiny hole, and
1: okay, <laughs> yeah. And Naomi has to make the hole bigger for them to go in.
0: Right. Gowell um, so like told them when they left. Not to be a hero. Don't be a cowboy. You see anything odd at all and get out of there because yes. it's risky. Every, space is risky. Obviously, pirating is a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's referred to multiple times already that there are pirates out there and space yeah. can be dangerous. Yep. So there's a hole in the side of the ship. Um, Nagata cuts a bigger hole and then cools it off, sprays it down, and they mm-hmm. go inside. And they start investigating and uh, they want to get, they want to find out like the core has been shut down.
1: They're trying to find out if anybody, like where the signal came from basically, like who sent it, um, what's going
0: on, but there's nobody around. Well, Amos has been tasked with pulling out the core, like cutting it out. Yeah. And he, Holden goes to look for the transponder. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: when he finds it, it hasn't been activated. There's no distress beacon being activated. So it's like, what, where's it coming from? And then he sees there's a little box with a battery strapped to it underneath something. And he's like, okay, well, that is weird. Wasn't to- that just sitting on the
1: ground in there or
0: something? Yep. It just left on the it ground was underneath. Out in the open. Well, they thought that was sufficiently weird. So they, they you know, scrubbed the mission. We're leaving. As soon as they do that, they get back in the ship and they say they're on their way back and they get a call from the ship. The captain of the Canterbury says, we have a problem. And that's, that's where the chapter ends.
1: I think we can at least put two and two together that whoever this crew of the ship is did not send the emergency signal, this black, whoever put this black box there sent this emergency signal. So yeah.
0: All right. So like I didn't even, I mean, I underlined like five things in this chapter. I I took hardly any notes. I I just didn't see it as that important.
1: The certain um, things I did, like I said, were just kind of funny little whatevers. Um, well, there,
0: The one thing that I noticed was that they were pulling out the computer core, right?
1: Uh-huh.
0: Or trying to? But if you recall from the prologue, this is the same ship that Julie Mao was taken off of. Correct. This is the Scopuli. And before they got boarded and taken off of the Scopuli, they scrubbed the computer. Yes. So they're trying to pull out this computer drive the black box essentially and it's been scrubbed so even if they get it they're not going to get good information off of it right and we know that as the reader right
1: i guess a character thing with holden he was looking at the night and um everything is built uh you know kind of utilitarian everything's built for function
0: yeah no aesthetics
1: and he thinks there should be room for aesthetics.
0: Trust me, if you pay more, you can get some aesthetics thrown on too.
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, this is an ice hauling rig here. Or well, this is a, their a, a ship within the ice within the Canterbury.
0: Yeah, it's their. What what is it? How was it described? Do you remember what kind of ship is the it? The
1: night. Uh. Atmo
0: okay. capable shuttle.
1: Okay, so it's a shuttle. One uh, chapter. Thinking. Anyway, but yeah, that's I guess that's it. Uh.
0: I have nothing problem. else to add.
1: The Canterbury has a problem. Chapter There's a four.
0: problem with the Cant. Yeah, exactly. And they're on their way back. Yeah. Chapter. So they four. went. They found out a little bit of information, and they're on their way back. Chapter four is another Miller chapter. We're just going to bounce back and forth. So back on series station, later the same night, Miller is called to talk Havelock off of a bender that is looking like it might turn violent. So mm-hmm. Havelock is down at the Blue Frog. Which is this really popular bar that is modeled off of a famous bar in Mumbai. Yes. And it has, inside of it, it has artificial air pollution.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: And the temperature is raised real high because it's supposed to be imitating the, you know, the environment of Mumbai.
1: Yeah, it's advertised as a near replica. Right. Of famous Earth Bar in Mumbai.
0: So the proprietor and Miller go back. They, they, they trade information or whatever. And so it's the proprietor that lets Miller know, hey, your partner's it. down here. Come and get him. It looks like he's about to get into some trouble. So come on down. So yes. Miller, heads, Miller heads down. And yes. he goes down as a civilian. He doesn't take the cart. He gets the tube and he goes down. And
1: Right. I guess ca- police travel in carts.
0: I think that was more around. of a distinction. It's true. But I think that's more of a distinction for him. You know? No, I'm
1: just explaining the world. Like cops right. travel around in these carts, I guess. And but he's not going to travel down in a cart because this is like personal, not yeah. cop business, and he doesn't want to be seen as a cop. So he's taking the public transport transportation, right. which is
0: the tube. Yeah. No windows. Right. Um, well, what's there to look at? You know. Right. Right. It's just rock. But Havelock's down in this bar, and it's like one third full of people from the inner planets because of some security force being changed out on Eros or something like that. And apparently Havelock has this tendency to pick fights with other Earthers and Martians. Yes. In the hopes that the people in the belt will view him more like one of their own. Yeah. Miller's like, dude, it's not going to make Shadid hate you any less.
1: And it should be noted that he's drunk when he's doing this. He's not. Yeah. I mean, he's in a
0: bar. Come on.
1: Well, I, I think that's a, he still thinks that way, but I don't, if he wasn't drunk, he probably wouldn't be doing that stuff. I'm just making that clear.
0: Well, he got set off by the fact that he's not being included in stuff that's going on. Like he's, he's, he asks Miller, like, what was that? What's that super secret mission that you got assigned to today? And he's like, that's what set you off, dude. Mm -hmm. It's a kidnap job. It's like, it's literally a bullshit job.
1: Yeah. It's going to add stress to my life, dude. Don't worry about it.
0: But he's he's thereby able to talk Havelock off of this tendency towards violence, and they go outside and then they they change venues, they go to a cop bar, and then they kind of just sip drinks and actually hang out with other cops. And then
1: with Havelock laughing along with the
0: He's trying to fit in
1: earther jokes. Yeah.
0: He's trying to fit in, but he's you know the best he can. And he's got fairly thick skin. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's kind of able to handle the jokes and stuff like that. He's just disappointed that it's not getting better. He thought that it would just... He doesn't get it. he thought they would take him in.
1: We kind of talked about it before, is he's worked all over the place, and he's never seen or experienced any kind of prejudice like this in this sort of way, at least from his perspective.
0: This is much That's more lasting. Yeah. yeah,
1: this is just like, there's nothing
0: that... He can't he can fit in. Do.
1: change it. They're they're not going to soften on this. They do not like inner planet people. They don't like them. And that's it. End of story. It's not going to change. It's too bad. It is. But also, I think a good character point to point out with Miller is he seems like a very reasonable person. And we kind of talked about it before, but it's all facts. And he's kind of trying to explain to Havelock why and what the situation is. He's like, you just kind of don't get it. Yeah. Um, he just kind of tries to explain to him why the Belters are the way they are.
0: Yes. Um, so they're in that cop bar, the second venue or whatever, and we get some worthless information about who runs it and why and that kind of yeah, stuff.
1: Yeah, a lot of different names.
0: Yeah, it's, like, it's just unimportant stuff, but it, it adds detail to the world. It gives it a feel of reality. And yeah. then all of a sudden, everybody's data pads start going off. All, yes. Everybody in there is basically a cop and all of their, all of the security forces, everybody, their their phones are going off. And it's Shadid, and she's letting them know, if you're near an Earther or a civilian, turn your phone off right now. If you're not, this is what's going on. We just got a message, and uh, yeah, it's bad news.
1: Miller knew just by looking at him that he was an Earther. <laughs> and then it starts, my name is James Holden.
0: So... Right, which is how the last chapter ended?
1: No, the last chapter ended with the captain with Holden saying, let's go. And the captain saying, we've got a problem,
0: right? We don't know
1: what's going on,
0: but we know it's Jim Holden. So there's a, there's a connection now between them.
1: Right. And we know what he's up to.
0: All right. So do we learn anything valuable in this chapter besides what we've already gone over?
1: Just the relationships between the people in this world, which moving forward, I think is going to be important. It paints a picture of different people's perspectives and maybe their motivations. They did throw a lot of names at us, which I don't think are important until they maybe become important. He mentioned the EMCA, the Earth-Mars Coalition Army. So obviously they have a coalition army. But other than that, no, it's just... Havelock and Miller continuing their relationship, and then we get this transmission from James Holden. Which, hold on, which the captain is obviously super concerned about, like that it's going to call. Like she's obviously getting all the forces together or okay. all of her men yes. and women. Right. So obviously, whatever's in this transmission is something's going on.
0: Yeah, it's something in her demeanor, but like the fact that everybody's phone rang at the same time. Yeah, is a indication that there's a there's a problem. Right.
1: There's right. There. Like, did something blow up? Like, what is it happening? Just,
0: it wasn't just Miller getting a call. Hey, we got a problem. It was everybody. Yeah. Um, so we know something big is going on. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have anything to add to this chapter as far as that goes, except there is a, there was a piece of dialogue in here that I really, really liked that mm-hmm. made me think that this is a good, this is a good noir, right? Okay. What was it? What page? It was on the top of page 38 when Miller is talking to the guy that runs the blue frog Mm -hmm. and he's like, your partner's here again. And should I, you know, I think he's having a bad night. Should I keep serving him? And Miller's like, yeah, keep him happy. Give me 20 minutes. And he's like, he doesn't want to be kept happy. He very much wants a reason to get unhappy. And Miller responds, make it hard to find. (laughs) I just thought, ah, so good. That is so, that is so hard boiled detective. Yeah. Just a good line, really good line. The last thing I'd like to point out is that Shadid, when she tells the cops that if you're in the vicinity of a civilian, turn off now. Yeah. That is a theme, I believe, where we're going to see that there are people who believe that information has to be controlled tightly.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And this is this is an example of Shadid doing that. And I'm pretty sure Miller agrees with her that that is the way that information needs to be treated.
1: Yes, I think in any crowd control sort of situation, that's probably... Oh, there's,
0: there's definitely viable reasons for same? it. I'm just pointing out that that's, that seems to be her mindset. All right, so let's move on to chapter
1: five. Oh, back to Holden. Oh,
0: chapter five, Holden. All right. Holden and crew are doing a fast burn back to the Canterbury when a sensor anomaly that was detected by the cant turns out to be actually a ship. And that ship happens to have torpedoes.
1: And aren't there also multiple ships that it actually ends up being multiple ships?
0: No, it's one ship with six torpedoes. Okay. The, the little yellow things that show up on their screens are torpedoes. Okay. They're, they're an hour out in the night. They're, they're not going to get back to the cant. This, this ship that showed up was invisible. Nobody could see it. Becca, she noticed this anomaly. It was, you know, they're sending out their sensor sweep, which is literally putting power energy out, and they're hoping that it'll bounce back, you know, radar, LIDAR, etc. Mm-hmm. They'll get information that way. It's an active sensor package. So nothing's coming back. But they happened to notice after a while that there's a little bit of an outline, like the circular, weird shape of heat in, in the infrared. Mm-hmm. And like, that's weird. Stealth technology. Right. So it's 200,000 kilometers away from the Canterbury. And she noticed it. And that is the reason that the captain was like, hey, we got a problem here. Get out of there. We don't know what this is. And they're like, hey, if that's stealth technology, that's one, it's rare. And two, they have bad intentions. Their intentions are bad. Right. So the night is on its way back under high burn, like two G's or something like that. But it's going to take them an hour to get back. The anomaly turns out to be a ship and they immediately launch six torpedoes.
1: Right. They're not gonna make it if I remember correctly, they won't make it back in time before the torpedoes chance. hit
0: not a chance. Canterbury. I yeah. think Ade says that the, the missile the, the torpedoes will hit in eight minutes. Right. There's and no way
1: to get there. Even if they do the the juice.
0: Yes. Well we'll explain what that is, will you?
1: Yeah. The juice is this chemical cocktail that gets pumped into their spines their body through their spinal cord, I believe, that makes it so that they won't die while they travel this fast, basically.
0: Yeah, in keeps the them basic of terms. Yeah. I think stroke was the the main medical condition that will yes. kill them if they can go under hygiene. But yeah. I, I looked this up a while back and humans go unconscious generally between five and six G. Okay. Can't take it. It just you know the blood doesn't flow properly and your your mind goes. So they have to have something to keep them conscious for the people like the pilot, the XO. They need to be conscious.
1: Yeah. So Everybody
0: else goes out. Everybody else gets knocked out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Naomi, Amos, they're all asleep essentially. And Jim and Alex have to... Are they also on the juice though? But they go on the juice, but they get a different cocktail that knocks them out. Whereas Alex and Jim get the other chemicals that keep them
0: awake. Yeah, sedative versus a stimulant, I imagine.
1: And it's still really hard to maneuver
0: even. Under, yeah, he said, like, he said it was impossible. There's like yeah. a giant sitting on his chest. He can't talk. I mean, he can't do any of that stuff. Like, yeah. I, don't how they're, I don't know how they're piloting the ship.
1: I don't know either. Unless it's all the controls are just super close to Alex or something. I, I, who knows? I don't know.
0: Well, we already today have technology that allows people to put a cap over your head mm-hmm. and control a cursor on a computer screen. Wow. So it's not unreasonable to expect that 300 years from now, that technology will be real good.
1: Mm, interesting. So
0: I imagine they can pilot just by thinking about it,
1: hmm.
0: which also oh. begs the question, why not, just, why not just do it from the Canterbury? You know?
1: Yeah. Well.
0: Mm. The yeah. risk to life and limb is real.
1: I hate to say it, but plot.
0: No, you're uh, right. It's fiction. But it's yeah. Fiction. We're not, we're not here to read books about robots.
1: No, this, yeah, this isn't real. This is, uh.
0: I am a firm believer that you should not let science get in the way of fiction. But for people who are scientifically literate, you can really turn your readers off by fudging that stuff a little too far. So I also calculated the speed of the torpedoes because I was oh curious. Oh my gosh. It's 200,000 kilometers. I'm thinking this as real. I've calculated the speed of the torpedoes. Well, I'm curious. You know, like how fast are the torpedoes going? And on yeah. average, they're going 416.66 kilometers per second.
1: That is insane. I do appreciate the, because space is just, massive we don't even know we can't even comprehend the massiveness of space so
0: oh it's vast
1: them, them being an hour out from the cant
0: i appreciate you know what? i was wrong about the penis so i'm going to do the math again penis yeah i was wrong about the penis i just said that Not penis penis Let's do the math again. Just 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 wait,
1: what math? What math are we
0: doing? I'm doing the two hundred thousand the ship is two hundred thousand kilometers away from the Canterbury. Okay. It takes eight minutes for the torpedoes to get there.
1: Oh my goodness. Okay.
0: So that's an eight times sixty is four hundred and eighty seconds. No, that's correct. Four hundred and sixteen kilometers per second. That's wild. That's that is it's hard to fast.
1: comprehend.
0: That's ridiculously fast. Yeah.
1: Think of how far away that ship is from the cant and then how far away the night is from the cant. Like, it's
0: put it into miles because that's how you and I think, right? Sure. All right. So let's convert that.
1: It's just so hard to imagine.
0: I wish we'd go metric instead of imperial. I really don't like it. All right. 200,000.
1: There's some town in Arizona that's metric.
0: Well, good for them. They also don't have daylight savings time in Arizona, which I also really want to get rid of.
1: Maybe you should move to Arizona.
0: Not worth it. Oh. All right. So, Mexico,
1: isn't it like the same? I'm just being.
0: It's a lot hotter there. Oh, 124,274 miles.
1: Yeah, that's just crazy.
0: That's how far away they were 124,000 miles. For I mean, the
1: night from the cant or the torpedo, or the ship. The distance running.
0: between the stealth ship and the Canterbury.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy, and the the fact that they're that far away, but still aren't going to be able to escape their fate.
0: Is, oh, but they try.
1: Of course they try, but that's just the amazing part that they can't. And even with that amount of space, it's crazy.
0: Yeah. The, Becca tries everything. She she puts out chaff. She tries to to. They have a targeting laser that's painting them, and so yeah. she's trying to disrupt that, and not, nothing's working. And
1: Naomi's also trying to come up with some ideas, mm-hmm. like maybe they can get the torpedoes to follow them instead, and then do some maneuvers so they don't get blown up.
0: Yeah, but none none of that's going to work. So
1: the captain, they, it finally comes down to there's nothing they can do. So the night. Holden and his crew on the night are going to be there essentially to pick up the pieces after they've been hit.
0: Yeah. Bear witness to the
1: next plan. But before right. we go further, I to. there's something, there's a funny line about Amos or that um, Holden says he's telling everyone to shut up on the comms because everyone's like talking and blah, blah, blah. So he gives his orders. He's like, Naomi set up a three-way channel with Becca. You and me we will help however we can. And then he says, Amos keep cussing, but turn your mic off. Yeah. <laughs> like, keep doing what you're doing. I'm not telling you to stop, but I can't listen to this right now.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that was funny. It was funny. I agree. It was a good moment. It was very realistic too. Mm-hmm. Um, because when they find out that the torpedoes have just been launched at their home ship, you know, it's like, of course everybody starts talking at once. Yeah. Um,
1: Everyone has an idea or or yep. a question or yeah.
0: So the people in the camp, Captain McDowell, he knows they're going to get hit. So he tells Ade, we got to try it. Get the, you know, try to bring the Epstein drive online. That's the most powerful engine they have. You know, maybe they can evade. They do. It breaks a strut. They're basically stalled in the water because it turns the engine offline. The problem is they're under the impression that these are pirates. Right. And that they're going to put a hole in their ship. They're going to... Their biggest concern is that they might get spaced. Right. They're hoping that the, night, the crew of the night will witness and that the pirates won't space everybody because there are witnesses. Right, exactly. But what they weren't really counting on was the fact that those weren't torpedoes intended to just hold the ship. They were nuclear yeah. weapons, and they destroyed the cant utterly.
1: Essentially vaporized the ship. Completely.
0: completely. Yeah, completely. Nothing is left and Holden immediately wonders like why wh- what was the purpose they're not pirates they can't be pirates because and
1: they're pirates, just a, a they sp- want to get paid they're just oh. an ice hauler why even vaporize that like none of it makes sense
0: no not nothing nothing makes sense pirates would be doing this to make money and they're not going to make any money off of destroying a ship unless it was a Unless it was an assassination, essentially. You know, go right, blow up the ship. You
1: wouldn't assassinate a competitor. You'd just destroy their stuff and steal their crap. Like, it yes. just doesn't make
0: sense. So they're not pirates. Right. And Holden knows that immediately. And he's, mm-hmm. he, doesn't, he doesn't understand what just happened. And obviously, he's very emotionally upset. But he, he wakes up everybody. They turn tail to go hide, I guess. And, um, you know, he's doing all these th- He's making all of his decisions based on emotion at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. where,
0: you know, he, he broadcast a tight beam to the ship, the, the stealth ship. And he's like, these are the people that were on that ship, damn you. You just killed 50 of my friends, blah, blah, blah. And then they get painted on the night. They get painted with that same targeting laser. Yes. And that ship takes off. And Holden wants to follow him and all this stuff. And he's now the captain. He just got promoted. Mm-hmm. Lucky him. And uh, Nagata's like, I'm now the XO and you're not following that ship. Your job is now to get us to safety and you're going to do that and I'm going to see to it. So eat it again. Another reason why I like her, you know, because she keeps her head when Holden loses it. She, she keeps her head. So I like, I'm already liking Nagata. I already liked her Mm -hmm. and now I like her even better. So now I like Nagata best, (laughs) you know?
1: Yeah. Well, there's Because Becca died. She says, what now, Captain? Naomi said, looking at him hard you're in charge now, act like it, is what she thinks, or is what he knows that that look means. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's being, already being a good second-in-command.
0: Right. And the first thing he does is he ignores her completely and he sends out a message. Right. Which is received at Ceres station, which causes alarm among the cops there.
1: Well, the reason that it's sent out is because Alex, the Martian pilot, mentions that it, that stealth, Technology and the only the last time he's seen anything like that was when he was in the Navy Yeah, so already that little prejudice nugget gets put into Holden and everyone else's head Yeah, they are taking apart the black box to try to find any sort of markings on it Right not thinking they're gonna find anything Then on the bottom of the battery is a Martian serial number which without thinking at all Holden just goes into making this video and then transmitting it Right um The other essentially the other. blaming the Martians, even though he doesn't really blame the Martians. He just says, "Oh, there's a Martian serial number on this. You can put and it you're, together. You're, yeah,
0: put two and two together for yourself. Yeah. Um, so it's also mentioned that nuclear torpedoes are very hard to get if you're not in the military.
1: Ah, yeah, that too. So
0: there's there are a couple of reasons to suspect that it was a military attack. Yes, and there's one reason to point the finger at the martians right but um, with
1: no other markings on anything just being somebody who's seen a lot of tv and movies that could also be seen as a pretty overt um frame job as well
0: yeah yeah a nice so, real subtle frame job
1: yeah so we've yeah. got the martians with the navy we've got inner planets with the navy or earth with the navy we've got the army coalition with earth and mars And as far as we know, the belt doesn't have any sort of thing like that. We know the OPA exists, but they just seem like a...
0: They're spring chickens. I don't want to call
1: them a terrorist organization, but that is how they're viewed by outsiders.
0: Oh, no. uh, Miller thinks of them as a terrorist organization also.
1: Yeah. And he
0: is a belter. Um,
1: Those are the players right now.
0: Okay, so the authors... Yeah. Yeah specifically set this dichotomy up where you've got Miller on the station who believes you need to control information Mm -hmm. and you've got Holden who they referred to as the holy fool, I believe who believes that information just, just be put out. It doesn't like interpretation, et cetera is irrelevant. You give everybody the information and let them do with it what they need to.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And that's Holden. And so he broadcasts all that information. If he would have just left out the words Martian serial number, right, everything would have been fine. There would have been no problem. But mm-hmm. because, he, because he put that information in his message, there's a problem.
1: Yeah. All Shit's right. going to hit the fan.
0: We don't really realize that at this point, I don't think. And I don't know how – I don't know if I would have ever made that
1: jump. We don't 100% realize it, but obviously, the, in the last chapter, the message that they were receiving was this message. Yes. We know that the captain's really concerned about it. Obviously, it's going to mean something to the people on Ceres. Right. We can make that connection just because they're all concerned about what's going to happen and they've all got this transmission.
0: There's weird things going on. <laughs> yeah. Now is the time. Now is the time. To discuss the name Scopuli. Okay. So, what happened in brief, in summary, was the Scopuli crew was removed from their ship. The Scopuli itself was put next to an asteroid and a transmission was beamed from it. Yes. And then a ship, the nearest ship, came by. From a little black box, which was placed on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another ship comes by because Mm -hmm. that's the law. Somebody Mm -hmm. has to render aid. The the, the nearest ship renders aid. And that ship is then vaporized by a military warship. Mm -hmm. That's what happened, right? So, scopuli means a scarpment or outcropping of rock. Okay. But, Sirenum mm Scopuli are the three islands in Greek mythology written about by Virgil and uh, Ovid, where the sirens lived. So they named the ship after the island where the sirens live. And if you think about it, it was pretty appropriate because yeah. it was a siren song that lured those sailors to their death.
1: Definitely. In the Greek myth- myth- uh, mythology, was there a purpose for that?
0: For the sirens?
1: For Yeah, or was it just for pure destruction? Did they take survivors? I I just I'm no, not. No, they did
0: not. No, they did not.
1: Familiar with the story?
0: They, well, I, I can only recall Odysseus puts the stuff oh. in his ears so that he can listen. No, no, no. All the sailors put the wax in their ears so they're immune to the siren song. Yes. Ties himself to the mast of the ship so he can listen to the song, and is not going to like steer the ship onto the rocks. Mm. They know it's a threat in the mythology, but. Why? Why did he have to hear
1: the song, though?
0: I don't remember. Honestly, I don't remember. He might have just wanted to know, you know? Hmm. He might have just wanted to hear it. It's not like they ran out of wax.
1: I'm just wondering if there is a connection with purpose there. Like, why I think the it's sirens... it's just a
0: nod, honestly. Okay. I think it's just a nod. The purpose of that ship was to lure sailors to their death. Mm-hmm. but he wanted to set a trap and they did that. And the authors cleverly called it scopulae.
1: What's kind of interesting though, is that the, it wasn't the night that got vaporized. It was the cant, which is way far away from the scopulae. So I find that interesting. Like the night didn't get blown up. They're the ones that were lured
0: to the rock. No, that's true. That's true. I don't, I can't answer. I'm not I trying mean, to
1: I... make an exact correlation or anything. I'm just pointing that out.
0: No, I, I'm, I'm thinking about it right now. The can't being destroyed, that's the ship that can get them home.
1: Okay, I'm just thinking about this now. Here's another question, though. Let's say it was not the... If it was the Martians, or if it was a framed job to frame the Martians, it doesn't matter. Um, why leave the night alive? Why leave those people alive unless they... like, Whoever lured them wants this to get out.
0: Yeah. But I'm saying I, I think because that's a very fair assumption.
1: Yeah, otherwise you'd kill the knight. There's no reason to leave them alive. Absolutely. Even though they were painted, like you said.
0: I it was the, just yeah. a little it was a little power play. Just yeah, like a little
1: scare them, tactic. And
0: yeah, we can destroy you right now and we're yeah. choosing not to.
1: Don't come after us. Just Witch. do what you're gonna do. Be our fodder.
0: Right. But that's that's another reason why Naomi Nagata should be the captain and not Holden. Yeah because i think she might have thought about that before sending out that message
1: well i think all that stuff with ade too is just to make it clear to us that he is an emotional man and that is how he bases his decisions yeah i think
0: Uh, i mean that's
1: how he's operating so far he's doing things based off of mostly based off of emotion
0: and what he thinks is right He thinks that telling people, like, he he said that they need to know. He woke up the crew down below to tell them that the Canterbury had been nuked. Yeah. they needed to know. He thinks that the access to the information is a right. Yes. And whether or not that's an emotional thing is, I don't know. But he clearly does not think about information politically.
1: Well, he's obviously, it may not be emotional, but it's definitely based off of convictions. Uh, Yeah. Personal
0: convictions, I guess. All right. Chapter 6, back on Ceres Station, Miller. So, Ceres Station is on the precipice of a riot.
1: Yes, that is why Shadid was so concerned.
0: Right. And I guess the idea behind that is that See, I don't I don't get it either and it's because I grew up in a gravity well and I'm not from the belt. So I don't get it.
1: Here's why. Miller explains it. To locked because half-lock doesn't get it either.
0: Because Halflock's would, like us.
1: Why would anybody care that some ice holler got blown up in space? Like, who cares? What's the big deal? The big deal is Belters care very much about um, the environmental systems that they rely on for survival. That is water to all of these people out here, and. They already think that Mars and Earth are against them. They are the grunt class, the worker class. They are the ones working and distributing out and working on the ports with all of this supply and water and food and all of this stuff. This greatly affects their life. And if they think the Martians did this, it's just another reason to hate them
0: do you think it would matter if it was earth versus Mars? Do you think it matters?
1: No, it, it'd be the same reaction. Same the reaction. Exact same reaction. It doesn't matter that that it was Mars and not earth. If it was earth and not Mars, it'd be the same reaction.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, Again though, like uh Havelock points out that they're not, there's no shortage of water. There's also no shortage of ice haulers. You know? So why, no, why freak out? Why are they freaking out?
1: Because it's like uh, it's like the rule. It's almost like the emergency signal rule in space. It's, yeah the Belcher, it's just the way they live. You do not mess with that stuff. We all have to live off of our recycled waste and everything and one little uh, hiccup could affect lots of people.
0: Yes, it is their livelihood. Um, Miller tells us a story about a guy who was a property manager up in kind of a low rent district on Ceres and he was cutting corners and he wasn't putting in the filters for the air circulation system and mold had started to grow in some of the apartments. Yeah. And the response the response was somebody burned off half of his flesh and threw him out into space. Yep. And And
1: and everyone was guess what?
0: Guess what? The cops didn't even investigate. Once they found out why he'd been spaced, they just stopped caring. Right. Because that's the belter attitude. Right. You don't mess with environmental systems. Anybody that was willing to treat that stuff with lax attention is now dead. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. They took oh. care of themselves. They took care of their own business.
0: No choice. If you think about the way Ceres is structured in this story, it is a hollowed out asteroid. Mm. They're Holden no no, I'm sorry. Miller says at one point that he doesn't even like to go down to a certain level, mm-hmm. the outermost levels by the docks, because it's so close to space. Yes. There's so little rock between him and outer space, it makes him uncomfortable. They don't walk around in spacesuits. So if there's a breach, they're going out.
1: No, it's like they're they're not Earthers, but it's like they're Earthers, but it's different. And at the very beginning of this chapter, um, while Miller's explaining this, Havelock says selective effect. That's, that stuff was
0: confusing to me. I gotta be honest.
1: You're seriously arguing in favor of select effect. And basically what Miller's saying is like, well, yeah. So like what Havelock means by that is We're all the same. We're all humans. What is the the difference? We're all the same race, basically. And Miller's saying, well, kind of no. Like, we've kind of evolved. Like, some people think that this affects our brains as well. And Miller's kind of on that side. Like, the Belters are their own race. They are different from everyone else.
0: I guarantee you they're going to be.
1: Well, and that's what selective effect is. That's what he's saying. And Havelock's like, that's racist propaganda BS. And Miller's like, it's kind of not.
0: I dis- Yeah, I like, disagree with weird. Hatlock on that entirely. Yeah. It's not racist. No,
1: that's, Miller's like, no, 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 we are different and this is our world and that's why you don't get it. That's why the Earthers don't get it because the Belters truly think that they are of themselves. They're their own people.
0: All right. Well, um, I was not convinced by the arguments put in the book. I can understand your point a little bit better, but not – I wasn't convinced by the book that it's –
1: Convinced. That, one, that like, it
0: was racist – it didn't well, that was seem
1: Havelock's racist view that was Havelock's view
0: yeah it didn't seem racist to me at all it's no. just like pointing it's, st- it's like stating the obvious you know like of course they live in a different circumstance of course they're going to have a different view
1: yes yeah yes totally but how you, is
0: that racist that, that sounds true. like that sounds like modern people running around calling people racist because they don't like what they're saying
1: but I think that just goes back to any propaganda. Like, Havlock calls it racist propaganda, whereas he's probably maybe, he's maybe been fed that.
0: A different anti, set of
1: propaganda. A different set of propaganda. Yeah, it's, again, it just shows their different perspectives on space. Right. And the people in space.
0: All right, so anyway, they get back to the station and Shadid is telling them what's going to happen. You know, they're, they're bracing for a riot. Right. Get out the riot gear, you know, and then go do your job, essentially.
1: This is just another reason for this OPA group, whether it's true or not, they can latch onto this for their own purposes to um, push their agenda and their fear-mongering to get the Belters on their side, which is anti-Earth and Mars as well. Right. That's why this is also a thing. They can just use this as something to rile everybody up, which is, I think, what I assume Shadid is thinking as well.
0: Right, and she's responsible for security of the station. Whether she's sympathetic or not, her job airport. says keep. Yeah, that's the thing I didn't understand. Though they're assigned like,
1: to like the port city, the port levels.
0: Yeah, no, I get that, but if we've got we've got belters who treat any attack on their their atmospheric system or their supplies as like a a violent affront, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and yet they're willing to riot on a station? I mean, isn't that a conflict right there? That's a conflict of engine big time. Like no I, Belter in their right mind would riot. I think that's where the OPA comes
1: in though. I think that maybe normal people wouldn't let's talk about it when we get to.
0: Yeah. All right. What
1: happens. So they, Miller's getting his guys together. They're going to go get their weapons. They're
0: going to yeah. gear up. Riot gear,
1: riot gear.
0: Yep. Shields and batons and uh shin guards and etc.
1: And they open up the lockers and there's nothing there, or
0: yeah.
1: there's like, yeah, I think there's nothing there, or there's Locker. like enough-
0: Those lockers are empty. He said they were like coffins in. with no bodies in them.
1: Yeah. So what's that all about?
0: They got stolen. Everything's From, gone. By who? Well, we don't know yet.
1: But I mean, are we to assume that it was stolen by potential rioters?
0: No, we're not okay. to assume anything at this point. <sighs>
1: It was just it's odd just to me. I it, mean, I assumed that it was somebody on the inside or something. It's
0: definitely somebody on know, the inside.
1: Something a little higher up, let's say.
0: It's definitely somebody on the inside, but we have no reason to. We have no information other than the stuff is no, gone. We
1: don't. But it was definitely odd.
0: Yeah, it is odd. But so the captain's
1: uh, like, shoot. Well, we've got the SWAT gear. <laughs> There's enough for like two in each group. Yeah. And that's about all you guys are gonna get.
0: Yeah, and that stuff's for killing. It's not for yeah. it's not for riot suppression. It's for killing.
1: So Miller made note in his head. He's like, "Well, I guess our assignment changed because they were assigned Indeed. to crowd control, basically, not yeah. kill anybody, right? Because they killing people are, is just going to start a riot. Well, you yeah. potentially,
0: it's bad form regardless. Yeah, it's bad. So they
1: form. go out. They go out to the ports,
0: right? And um, it doesn't take them long. They, you know, there's the Somebody's getting beaten to death almost, you know, within a couple of minutes of them getting out there, they find some big shirtless muscle bound steroid popping freak beating somebody to death. Mm -hmm. And it's some, it's some short stocky woman from a gravity well, you know, and he stomps on her neck and kills her right in front of everybody. And they're cheering. 60 some odd people are all, yay. Awesome. Murder is great.
1: I like the way it was described. Miller's that he's still a hundred feet from the turn that would take them to the clot of human violence. Yeah. a clot in the crowd of this jerk beating down. That's probably a pretty tame term for him. Uh, right. He also had an OPA tattoo on his arm.
0: Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did.
1: You know, was OPA sending their thugs out to uh, rile the people up.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I get mean, them on their know, side. Probably good. true. This big dude, he's already committed murder, and, and Miller's like, hey, stand down, disperse right now, or you're all going to jail as accessories to murder. Yeah. Somebody throws a wrench at him, beans him in the head with it, and he's all like, oh, God, that hurt. And
1: he's like, don't shoot or stand down, and the crowd laughs because he thinks that he's telling them. Yeah. when he's obviously he's talking to his guys and gals
0: <laughs> and like don't do anything i'm fine that big muscly dude when he's like he, uh, he's taunting miller by flexing his pecs yeah <laughs> this is that's hilarious
1: and like the one guy one of miller's guys wants to shoot him and he doesn't uh, he tells and him miller's to stand trying down. to Miller's trying to talk to the big guy, and I don't know what happens, but he finally well, the guy, says. The big guy
0: calls him a bitch, and is uh, that
1: when he says kneecap him?
0: He calls him a bitch, and then he and then Miller still tries to talk him down, and then he calls him a bitch in gutter German, and he's like, "All right, I've had enough, kneecap him." And yeah. they, the the two snipers each take out one knee, and a guy goes down.
1: Yeah, crowd and disperses. That point, yeah
0: and he tells the guy if you if you even look at me wrong i'm going to space you do we understand each other like yeah,
1: yes. and miller knew he understood <laughs> yeah.
0: so that's the He's end of the taken riot taken to his knees yeah that's the end of the riot and uh he For said now. That, sure sure but you know one person died and the riot was quelled at least in their area yeah and that's that's not bad that's not bad and let's be honest it could have gotten a lot worse they could have gotten a those 60 people could have gotten a hold of an entire group of Earthers or interplanet types. Or could
1: have just grabbed Miller and some of his guys. Like what, what stopped them from just overtaking them? They are armed. Uh, not Miller. Not the people. Like two out of each group. So the snipers sure.
0: were like far away. Remember that Miller um, this very night strapped a gun to his ankle?
1: That's right, a plastic gun.
0: Yeah, but I plastic really bullets that. are enough to kill people.
1: No, no, no. I'm just in my, I, I do remember that that stands out in my mind. These yeah. are all
0: cops. They all have guns. Yeah. They, have, they assume that they have guns for sure. Yeah. Um, so they, they weren't going to go down without a fight. And there were, there were pistols among the rioters too. There were at least two pistols that Miller counted. Yes. Like, along with a lot of weapon, handheld weapons. Yes. Um, all right. So that's chapter six.
1: I will just, because I don't know if it'll get cut out earlier or not, but we also learn in this chapter that, because Miller's asking about, well, what about the government offices and whatnot? And this is where we find out where Shadid's like, they've got their own security force. They've already locked down, and they're not even involved in any of this.
0: They've got their own air supply, even.
1: Right, exactly. She's like, we're not even breathing their air right now, so whatever. So I just found that interesting.
0: Okay, so in order to try to quell the riot before... Or maybe it was after they kneecapped that guy. Hold on, let me find that. It's after. Yeah, it's after they kneecapped that guy, and he he's still trying to disperse the riot. He tells them all that, like, look, this is exactly what they want us to do. They want us to eat our own. Mm-hmm. We need to go back to work. We need to stick together, and when it comes time to actually fight. We need to be healthy. This guy, he's now no longer in the fight. You know, Mm -hmm. the guy that we just kneecapped, he's now a cripple. Right. He's not going to be a soldier. This is
1: exactly what they, quote unquote, they want.
0: So there is Miller using a form of propaganda of his own, right? Mm -hmm. Remember about the whole control of information thing. Like, he's good at propaganda. It said earlier that he was good at a typical, a particular type of lie. And that lie that he was better at was convincing people that everything was okay. Hmm. He wasn't big on bluff and trying to intimidate people. Right. Good at convincing them that everything was going to be okay. A false sense
1: of security.
0: Right. But nevertheless, it's control of information and he's decent Mm -hmm. at it. So he does convince them to disperse. And I wonder if that's why he was given Julie Mao's case.
1: Interesting. Hold on. Let me think about that for a second. He's good at not revealing
0: information. Yeah. I wonder if he's just a good detective too, though.
1: Probably. He's obviously tenured and, or tenured, you know, he's been there a long time.
0: Yeah, he has. All right. Do you, do you see anything that needs adding?
1: Um, I don't think I have anything in my notes. That I don't either. Out to me, I feel like we've talked about a lot of stuff. Havelock and Miller just seen everything completely different. Yeah. Totally different perspective, which I find interesting, though, because Havelock, having really only been born on Earth and has, has been all over the place, is he, like, is he just kind of super sheltered in his own way like he's just never seen it before? Or is it really only a Belter thing? Even though we've heard of the Mars and Earth stuff, Mars and Earth, like Belters view Mars and Earth as exactly the same.
0: You can cover both planets by holding your thumb out
1: yeah like they're the people from them to them are the same yeah. belters are the different ones and but earth thinks that martians are different and martians thinks that earthers are different yep belters hate them both so it's just it's an interesting dynamic um we're getting different people's perspectives of that dynamic i'd say yep, yep. the Kant and all those people we don't we don't get much of that perspective yet because they're all living out together in space, just doing their jobs.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And I've, I think it's been pretty well handled. Like I, there's a distinction that you're pointing out and it's obvious, right? Yes. It's yes, not yes. like we have to interpret anything. Like we're seeing the effects of that difference. Mm-hmm. It's obvious in the way people talk and what they're talking about. So yeah, no, I think it's very expertly handled up to this point. Mm hmm. The far, like, honestly, I'm, I'm more intrigued by the, the crime noir sections than I am by the space opera stuff mm-hmm. so far. Like, I'm, that's, to me, there's more conflict there. There's more – that stuff's more interesting. You've got a nameless enemy, you know, with a stealth ship, big whoop.
1: Right. All that stuff seems like it's going to affect oh, yeah. stuff, but in different ways.
0: Undeniable. Um, Undeniable. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, obviously we already know there's the Julie connection. We we already see...
0: What do you think the Julie connection head? is?
1: What do I think the Julie connection is? Yeah. As of right now, I don't think we can say.
0: Well, I, we, know, I, we know she got taken off of her ship.
1: We know very little. We know and, she's a rich girl yeah,
0: from yeah. a rich
1: family from somebody who's very prominent.
0: Plutarch, a wealthy person.
1: That's kind of all we know, though. So we can imagine
0: roughly. I mean, we know what her circumstances are right now.
1: Not really. Yeah, we do.
0: Sure we do. We know that she's on that ship with Akira and we know oh, that her parents considered her missing and we know that she was a member of the OPA.
1: Sure. She's all, right. She's all by herself and she even thinks to herself, maybe she can pilot this ship. She's not even sure she can pilot this ship. Right. That's why she was going to the engineering room to begin with to try to get the ship online. But can you... Honestly, think that at this point she's safe. Hell no! I mean, everybody on that ship was—I think we can assume—absorbed by Akira.
0: <laughs> I would assume that so she's why already would she doomed. Be
1: absorbed, yeah. Like yeah, I, I'm I
0: assume, I assume she's doomed. She's gonna yeah. die.
1: She's absorbed by the goo.
0: She's got no chance.
1: No chance. No, no chance. No
0: chance in hell. That's that's my interpretation as it stands right now. And Same Miller here. has been assigned to find her and send her back home. So, He's in a
1: wild goose chase at this point.
0: Yeah, very, very possible.
1: Completely. Because how would, for since we know where she is.
0: Well, yeah.
1: You know, essentially. How the hell is he going to get to that point?
0: I don't know. I have to assume that she is going to be able to, that ship's got to be discovered somehow. Right. It either gets to Ceres or somebody finds it. Uh huh. Same thing's true with Holden, though. You know, the night is the night capable of getting all the way back to Ceres because it's just on the inside. It's like it's, it's just closer a to shuttle Jupiter.
1: transport, it's a shuttle thing, it's a
0: shuttle, and it's closer yeah. to Jupiter than Ceres. But,
1: but it was capable of some sort of high travel because they were able to juice, so they're able to travel fast at least.
0: They described the usage of fuel to travel at that speed as prodigious. So it's burning through its fuel super fast. Gotcha. So I don't know if they have enough fuel to get back to series. I would say no. It's not intended for long distance travel. And that is no. a long way.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know, but I don't I know
0: how they're going to no. get back. I assume they're going to have to send out a SOS and somebody's going to have to come and pick them up. Mm. That's a guess. They're but.
1: definitely going to have to come up with a plan.
0: How are you liking it so far? I like it. That's it. You just you just like it.
1: Well, we we kind of just started. Um,
0: yeah, but I mean, initial there's a impressions lot of like setup
1: happening right now. It's like it's set up with plot though. Like there's still a lot going on. Yeah, with, the setup is within the plot. It's, so, and I do like that. I like when things are kind of woven in.
0: Yes, I do too.
1: Yeah, I like it. I'm kind of with you though. As far as Holden goes, I'm not necessarily a fan of him yet. Uh huh. Um. Not yet.
0: And I don't know if I ever will be uh, just based on what I've seen so far. I'm already kind of sour on the guy.
1: So I'm going to throw a little show spoilers at you, but not really spoilers, more like mental
0: spoilers. Like, All right. So tell me about the show then.
1: So when you were mentioning how you didn't care about Julie. Yeah. I found it interesting because I kind of want to be more open-minded about it in the books because in the show, I kind of don't care about her either. Uh-huh. Um, why? But Miller really cares.
0: <laughs> Miller does?
1: I don't. And I'm not sure why. Um, like, I can't get that connection oh, okay. through Miller that Miller obviously, for some reason, has. like.
0: Well, not in the book he obviously
1: doesn't. He, well, obviously, he's going to keep pursuing this.
0: Are you f- You're further into the show than you are into the book. Mm-hmm. So if you were at the same point in the book and the show, does Miller care at this point? And does he care disproportionate to sensibleness? Right? Well,
1: see, I don't think he can care because he's literally just been given this assignment and he's just going through the file. Like, there's not much there. Like, he's going to... I don't know if it happens in the book, but he goes to her apartment quite often to try to kind of get the vibe of who this girl was and discover things there. Uh-huh. Um, so, and no... her apartment's
0: have- on... Her apartment's on series.
1: I can't. Re- they just going to be a lot of different places we go to, and I can't quite remember. But it okay. might be on series. It might be. I, I
0: I seem to recall that she worked at Tyco.
1: Okay, it might be at Tyco that where her apartment is. Yeah. Um, I, I, I Who cares? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. But at this point, well, no. I mean, it's so early. He doesn't know any. He doesn't know anything. He starts finding out more you know, starts carrying a little bit more. But even there's something that happens that's such a huge spoiler that I'm not even going to say what it is. But even at that point, I kind of don't feel it. And I'm not sure why it could just be Tom Jane's performance in it. So I don't feel his. That's the, much.
0: that's the actress.
1: That's the actor who plays Miller.
0: Oh, okay. Um so
1: like maybe I don't feel his connection to her because of him, but I think he does a good job, so I'm not sure why I don't care about Julie. Maybe it is because she's just kind of thinly drawn as a character. Okay. You know, she's just like you said, she's a rich girl who, you know, went off and whatever.
0: I I'm I freak- not gonna
1: get much more info on Julie.
0: Okay. Well, I frequently go back to Harry Potter when I want to think about how characters are made to be sympathetic
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the way one of the ways is to abuse that character sure you know like have have the character beaten to a bloody pulp you know have the character mistreated and abused, and all of these things. you know Harry Potter yeah. was kept in a bait he was kept in a closet under some stairs by his relatives
1: we will find out i said we weren't going to find out more about julie but we will find out more that will make her more sympathetic a hundred percent i
0: hope so because right now i don't give a
1: shit I'll i'll be interested to see what you think at that point but you might not care at that point either I'm not going to say what it is. No, I, I got you. I don't, you. know don't, don't want
0: to know. I want to get there. I want to get there. I mean, I've read the book before, so I know some of the stuff, but you know, my memory is, is the way. Yeah, and
1: I don't know how the first book ends and I don't, you know, as compared to the show or anything. So first I don't want to.
0: I can't tell you. I, I don't yeah. remember. Like I remember some stuff, but I don't remember anybody I don't remember who was involved with any of it. Yeah. Or where it took place or, uh. It was, it was years ago. I read it years ago, but I read it avidly the mm. first time I read it. I enjoyed it thoroughly and like, Definitely. I'm enjoying it right now, and, but I'm, I'm purposely being yeah. more critical than yeah. I was on the first reading. And I think that's kind of the point of what we're doing here is to be a little oh. bit more critical. Definitely. Okay. So anyway, thank you for joining us for our premier episode of Leviathan Wakes by James S.A. Corey. Um, I'm I'm having a good time. What about you, Jill? I'm
1: having a good time. I hope people were able to follow along with us.
0: I I think anybody that's reading the book is going to be able to follow along just fine. We didn't, we didn't cover anything ridiculous. You know, we're not, we're not stretching too far. No, no. I think it went well. I do too. All right. So thank you for joining us. If you like what we're doing, please support us in all the typical ways. And for those of you who have stuck around to the end, Thank you. But also, we are looking for a permanent name change for this show. And if you have any ideas about that, if you have any suggestions for us, we would like to hear from you. So feel free to leave comments and et cetera, what you think might be a good name change. You should um, make
1: it clear, just in case people are, have maybe only listened to this, that when you say this show. Oh, yeah. The whole show, which is the science fiction and fantasy read along.
0: Yes. Podcast. The podcast podcast is called science fiction fantasy.
1: Not just a title for this book show. We're
0: not changing the title of the book.
1: (laughs) No, no, no. But I mean, some people might come up with like whatever, you know, like.
0: Right. But it needs to be, it needs to be relevant to what we're doing, which is slightly more critical readings of science fiction fantasy novels. Yes. All right. Thanks everybody. And we'll see you in the next one.
1: Bye.